Okay, I'm here with Dr. Shelley O'Neill, the uh, playwright for 911 Gnomes that is being uh, performed here at the Teatro Latea Theater in Lower East Side, Manhattan. And uh, I just wanted to, you know, introduce the, the audience to her and her give her some uh, background information, you know, where she came from, what got her into this business, and uh, give some insight to all the work that has to come into something like this. So, Dr. O'Neill, could you tell some of the listeners about yourself? Yes, yeah, so um, I fell in love with theater uh, when I was just a little kid. My dad taught at Panola College in Carthage, Texas, in the the, the deep East Texas piney woods. And um, I remember seeing my very first play and thinking, you know, what a dream it would be to get to be on stage. And I've gotten to be on stage, I'm blessed to say. Um, and I'm, I'm uber blessed to be at this festival right now. Um, this play I actually wrote it was kind of a funny thing in, in two days because we needed a very short two play. Two days. Two days. <laughs> uh, we needed a fundraiser one Christmas in our theater department, and so I had two days to write it, and then we had about five days to rehearse. And so it was a much shorter play then. Um, and now uh, the producer I've been working with, Michael Jenkins in Dallas, asked me if I would expand the play. So last summer I expanded it to an hour-long show. We did it in November. And then Mr. Jenkins asked me if I would uh, submit it to the Rave Theater Festival. And uh, out of hundreds of scripts, it was chosen. And we're delighted to be uh, the only family show that's going to be here. And we've got wonderful people we're working with from Dallas and Nine former NC characters, some current NC characters who are playing the role. I'm blessed to have my mom with me as the um, the costume repair gal and makeup uh, helper. So anyway, it's been an incredible time. <laughs> it has been incredible. I, I want to ask, uh, how many plays have you actually written? So I think I've written 26 now. I've uh, kind of lost... And you do your own music, and you, you do your own costume design. Right, yeah. right. Um, and I could not write plays without uh, my students because it's so important <laughs> to have somebody listen to your play and go through your play, and mm. the play really grows. It helps the refining process. Yes, absolutely. And you, of course, as a writer, understand how many times you have to polish things. And, yeah, um, and I think that's where I struggle the most is that I try to put things together, but I have no soundboard to bounce things off. Right. Right, so right. It's, it's a struggle for me to try to put these ideas on paper when I don't have any refining process of my own. Right. And so I'm working on some of my own stuff, and, and it's all, you know, very young. It's all very early stages of development. Right, right. But um, it's because of people like you that have inspired me oh, to you, do Aaron. to do these sort of works. Uh, of course, I'm a writer myself, and I, I love writing. Yes. Uh, and meeting you was just was just divine intervention. Oh, thank because, you, Aaron. I feel the same way about it. I feel like God let our, our paths cross, and what a blessing it has been. It definitely has. definitely has. And, it, and even outside of the theater, uh, it's definitely impacted my life. Well, thank you, Aaron. Absolutely. My too. My too. And so when you knew the, the budget for this thing was not going to be small, we were going to have to raise quite a bit of money, what, what did you? What, how did you approach that, knowing that we were going to have to raise a lot of money? Well, so, uh, of course, we could not have made it here without the support of Navarro College and the Navarro College Foundation and the the city of Corsicana. There have been so many community members uh, from Corsicana, uh, from my particularly from my church, St. John's Episcopal Church, 
who have given uh, donations to support us. So I'm I'm so proud to say that um, uh, not only were the flights and hotel rooms covered for everybody on on our side, uh, so nine students, but also my mom and me, um, but we also have. Uh, Metro cards to get us where we need to go. Susan Wilson uh, sponsored a city pass so that our our actors could go see the city sites they wanted to see. Uh, so it's it's been really incredible. The variety of people who right. have come together to make this happen, and it it really has been uh, such a collaborative effort, which is just what theater is about. It's all about the family. <laughs> uh, it is. It's all about the family a, a and lot the of team. Fingers, a lot of fingers have been dipped into this pie. Right. And, right. Um, you know, we we also did some fundraising of our own where we sold food. That's right. What was I wasn't there for that. How was how'd that go? Well, so um, <laughs> the joke has been we made one thousand eighty four dollars doing that and the joke has been you know that that must have been really good lasagna um, the truth of the matter was that we I think we sold around 50 or 60 uh, actual plates uh, we sold the the plates for ten dollars a piece so they got lasagna and a salad and uh, a very nice brownies um, but what the truth of the matter is as people would come and buy the plates they would of course they everybody would give us additional money um, and then like people my uh, like my twin gave uh, so sweetly a hundred dollars my dad gave two hundred dollars so you know family members um, so many people from my church came and were supportive colleagues you know there, there were people in our uh, support staff in the offices at Navarro uh, in fact Ethan and uh, Keegan um, went around to all the offices selling brownies so they when they came back you know they had sold every single brownie on the on the plates so uh Navarro College has been incredibly supportive, but also our community, of course, Ken has been so loving with all with this once in a lifetime opportunity. So you got your PhD. I imagine that in uh, you didn't do that very fast. That took a while. Right, right. So um, I got my first degree, Associate of Arts in Theater, from Panola College, where my dad taught for forty five years. Uh, then I, I finished my bachelor's at UT Tyler, um, and then my my master's also at UT Tyler. Then I took one year off. Uh, um, I was a recruiter for uh, Texas A&M University Commerce. Then I didn't I, know that. Yes, uh-huh. <laughs> then I, and that was God's intervention. He knew I needed a, a little bit of a break. <laughs> then I, then I uh, was accepted to the Ph.D. program at LSU for two years. I did my residency. Oh, LSU. Then for one year, I, um, I studied for my general exams. And praise be to God, during that time I had been hired at the University of Texas at Tyler where I learned most of what I know about theater from Dr. James Hatfield, Dr. Mary Ellen Gentry Wright, um, who has been, Mary Ellen has been responding to some of my things on Facebook, uh, and she's really the one who taught me about children's theater. And um, I also, uh, oh, oh, so so then it was um, uh, two more years after that I took. No, it was one year after that I took writing my dissertation. So the the PhD took me about. Uh, Four, four years to get done. Good um, grief. So it's kind of a long, a long process. But during those last three years when I was working on my Ph.D., after I finished my residency, I was teaching at UT Tyler. Um, so that was, that was all just a wonderful, a wonderful way to finish up that degree. So when you started writing plays... Did you write those during your studies, or did you wait till you were finished with your Well, Aaron, I'm so glad you asked that. I took one playwriting class. Uh, I I was not comfortable with the 
the playwriting experience after that. And so the reason I started... One second, Lauren. One second, Lauren. <laughs> We're in the middle of something. <laughs> um, so so uh, after I wrote that, that first play, I, I really had a bad taste in my mouth about it. And so about 10 years passed, and um, um, then I wrote my first play at Navarro College because I had a really athletic group, and I couldn't find the right, uh, the right combination of... of place for them to do and so I thought well, I'll try my hand at this playwriting thing I also wanted to stretch our theater budget <laughs> and so I had a wonderful a wonderful uh, experience working with the students on that I fell in love with playwriting and I think too I since I had directorial experience my directorial and acting experience really helps me as a player I write from a play uh, an actor's perspective I I, yeah I've, I've written uh, three one woman shows for myself which I've seen a couple of them yes yeah. thank you thank you Aaron <laughs> And um, so I, I think since I write from an acting and later directing exp- experience uh, perspective, that's really helped me with my my playwriting. And you know, the the more you practice at it, the better you get. Just like anything else. Yes, just like anything in life. Yeah, right. yeah. You gotta, if you don't put the work and the time in, then it really right. does show. And um, anyway, I, I want to appreciate you and say thank you thank for this you. interview. Thank you, Aaron. Um, it's thank been you great so to. Much. Get some of your backstory. I've been working. I've been working with Shelley since 2012, where yes. uh, I kind of auditioned on a whim because in in middle school, in eighth grade, I started acting, and I kind of went in and out. And um, you know, going to college, I didn't have any high hopes for for doing anything. But at my first audition, you guys are like, "You have got to try out for more parts." And so I come, I came back, and I got I got more roles, and things happened the way that they happened, and. Here we are today. So yes. uh, a lot, a lot of details have gone in between then and now, and we'll cover that another day. But uh, Aaron, Aaron, of course, played Jesus in our uh, cycle play. It was a genuine cycle play pageant that we did. The only one, to my knowledge, has been done in America. Um, first of its kind here yes, in the U.S. Yeah, in the U.S. He also played General Hap Arnold in the Forgotten Air Force, which is a tribute to the women Air Force service pilots. Did a beautiful job. Uh, that was a challenging role for me. Like, like I, playing Jesus was a challenging role, but playing General Arnold especially was challenging because he's an old man. He's <laughs> he's an old World War II man, and he's an he's like one of the highest ranked officers. And me being an enlisted man, that's just another world. He's not just he's not just an officer. He is the leading officer of an entire branch of the armed forces. That's a level of responsibility that I just can't even imagine. So during, during one of the most stressful periods in world history. Yeah, when you know, the war was you know kind of at its peak. Mm-hmm. At any rate. Um, once again, thank you for taking the thank time. You, thank you, Aaron. What a privilege. Yes. What a privilege. Thank you. All right, and thank you, listeners. That was Dr. Shelley O'Neill. Christmas or whatever? Merry Christmas. She'd be like, Merry Christmas. I feel, like, <laughs> I, feel like she can, she, I feel like she can elongate that more. And um, mm. it's another situation where... Um, but, yeah, she's doing what people expect. Hey, to do something different. What's that one part? Um, Are you recording us? Yeah, yeah, that's us. So uh, we that's lie? Kevin Davis. This is no, uh, don't say my name. This is <laughs> James Henderson. James Henderson. Uh, this is Aaron Rollins coming at you from Southeast Third. Uh, this is the Southeast Third podcast where we are behind the scenes with nine one one gnomes up oh, here nice. in New York. Nice. And we were just going over the different uh, nuances and intricacies of each character. Uh, pardon the, the city noise, um, but we're we're going over things that we've interpreted mm-hmm. uh, when we were talking about how you know. The play is an upbeat, family, warm, and soft 
uh, production where the other productions that are uh, on the stage tonight, this week mm-hmm. are kind of dark. And Kevin was talking about you know how he enjoys Cookie's character, yeah. who's uh, a bit of a country bumpkin. Yeah. You know, you can you can definitely tell the the accent is there. When mm-hmm. she's in the yeah. Yeah. Yes. I, I love I love I really enjoy I enjoy Cookie a lot. I enjoy her, her choices. They're very big. She's very bold. Yeah. She, a lot of her choices that she makes is very bold, yes. especially compared to everybody else. Because right. you know, everybody else has this like family sweet soft thing, and she gives this like big ah, yeah, ah, yeah, yeah. And it's She's like you are bold to even take that risk. Right. Like, I enjoy. I that. feel that um, Ethel Faye. I enjoy mm. her. I enjoy her. I enjoy Ethel I really she think brings. she's underappreciated. Yeah. Because yes, like, she's she the brings. first person to step out on stage. She sets the pace for the show. Yeah. Which is the scariest thing in the show. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That is oh, yeah. very hard. She is the first one to step to into the light. And for her at her age to be so young doing that, that mm-hmm. says a lot about her. Yeah. And, you know, she learned every female line in the show. I didn't know that. Yeah. And she car- and she carries it well. Oh, yeah. She carries Ever Faye very, very, excuse me. She carries her very well. Definitely. Um, uh, another one I enjoy. I enjoy. Let's see. Um, Frosty the Snowman. Um, you know, unfortunately, we don't have any scenes together. That's a shame because know. Frosty's singing voice is just so yeah. smooth. Girl, oh, girl, so listen up to when? what I have to say. <laughs> Come into Alaska from, from so far away. The reindeer now are tired. They're hungry and they're sore. In the morning, you tell me they, they must fly some more. Have you ever thought about doing voiceover work? If anybody you, you, you are the third person with it. No, fifth person with it. That's what you tell me that. You should look into you voiceover. Should. You should. If my ass can do it, you can do it. Yeah, yeah, you can definitely do voiceover, Aaron. And I've done it. I did it for my brother. Uh, My brother did a a private fan-based production where I did, like, this Irish accent. It was horrible. But (laughs) for me, it's hard to do accents over a long period of time Uh because that consistency is hard for me to nail down because I don't have that accent. Mm -hmm. I I can do a Spanish accent because I grew up around it. I've been speaking Spanish since I was in high school. Really? Speak Spanish for us. Okay. Tu que estás en alto cielo, encheme tu investigación. You that is in a higher place, send me down a blessing. Okay, hola, ¿cómo estás? Uh, muy bien, gracias, ¿y tú? Uh, más o menos. Uh, más o menos, ¿por qué, güey? So, so. Um, ¿Sí, uh, sí? Sí, mi, vámonos a la casa. Uh, ¿Cuándo? ¿Ayer? ¿Mañana? Mi, mi tired. <laughs> <laughs> soy, soy cansado, no puedo dormir ayer, güey. Sí. Está bien, ¿por qué mi también? Um, Taco, uh, <laughs> chicharron, uh, barbacoa. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Um, Another person I really enjoy in this show is Everready and Mayor. I no Everready, Everready is no so much. Cool. She gives you so and much on stage down. where like we we have so much fun together. Yeah, she's uh, she delivers. She really delivers in her character. One of the strongest. She owned them. Yes, yeah. she owned those roles. She really does. And for me, when I don't have a lot of lines, it's hard for me to own my character. Really? So when I'm like, okay, what I've got to do is I've got to, I've got to, well, here's another thing. I've had obstacles thrown up in me where I can't do the fatherly, you know, hug my family shit because okay. some of the girls don't like that. Right. And I'm like, okay, I get that. That's respectable. That? Right. But if I can't do that, then I can't show that I'm a dad. Mm-hmm. So how else do I show that I'm a dad? Well, I got to do like facial expressions. I got to do well, maybe, dad moods. So maybe, but maybe you might not be that level of a dad. That's right. Maybe you're that dad that don't hug his kids. It could be. You know what I mean? It's just that for this play, that's what I thought the dad should be. Yeah. Because it fits the atmosphere, it you know? It fits it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And, but in, in the same respect, it's like, okay, well, this is what we got to work with. So. Yeah. And, and, and it does, but you're just working with two different... You're working with a, a 
two different backgrounds. They yeah, yeah, yeah. obviously come from a, um, more of a. I'm Christian. Don't get this wrong. A yeah. Christian, conservative, conservative uh-huh. um, theater. Yeah, yeah. And we, I'm more. My my. I, I know I love Jesus, and Jesus loves me. But my, um, I was raised in a family where you don't have to be in this box to be a God fearing man. Absolutely. And so, I mean, there, there's differences, and when you get to that point, you, y'all know I will say anything, do anything, except drugs. Yeah. I, will, I will say or do anything. I wanted to find some coke when I got out of here. Oh, you did? You I been did. I've been, I've been asking like this you guy. Want to try it? I've tried it before. What did it do for you? Do important people not listen to it? <laughs> What's the statute of limitations going to throw me in jail now? Come on. Um, it makes your heart rate go through the roof and you feel like you could just conquer the world. I, so you scared. like it? No, I don't like it. I'm, I'm scared. <laughs> I, I'm scared. It's, it, yeah, it can ruin your life. Yeah. I can definitely see why it can ruin some people's lives. Because as soon as you get turned on to it, you're like, I don't know. Do I want some more of that? Because if I want some more of that, am I going to stop? Well, that's how I felt about marijuana. Mm-hmm. I get these like two weeks ago before I came down here. I smoked with a friend, and I had done it since my car wreck. And I was like, the next day, I was like, I want to do it again. And then uh, I was like, oh, I want to do it again. Mm-hmm. Then I had to stop. Because it just, it, that was the only time I slept yet. I slept through yeah. the night, and I yeah, I felt good. I didn't have stress. I, I know a lot of people use marijuana. I know a lot of people use marijuana for, like, because sometimes, especially when you get hyperactive, sometimes you can't Sometimes you can't sleep because your brain is just like... All over the place. My counselor told my mom when I was about 12 years old, I was having a, I don't know, I felt like a mental breakdown. I was crying, I was screaming, and I was yelling. And we called my counselor, who uh, was happened to me, also my godmother, and she said, he's just having a, a, temper, a temperature tantrum, like literally like a little kid temper tantrum, and that's exactly wow. what I was doing. I was sitting because kids who have struggled with ADHD and ADD and things like that, we really don't sleep. We don't. Your mind is always a thousand miles an hour. That's why we, we wake up in the morning. It's like you've never been asleep because right. your mind never stops. You never rest. You never really truly rest. You never truly rest. So she said, "Give him a Benadryl, he'll be fine." I took Benadryl, and I it was like a reset. So every <laughs> two months, my mom would give me Benadryl because she didn't want me to get adapted to them. Also, my doctor told me to take your melatonin. Yeah. That doesn't work for me. Well, you got to get the chewables. Well, all those things, just like, um, is the only thing that puts you to sleep, you know, just like coffee's supposed to wake you up yeah. and puts you to sleep. Yeah. So a lot of things have the opposite effect on it. Really? No, like, I know, that's why sometimes, like, like, sometimes I wake up, like, 4 o'clock in the morning, I'm just like, and I, 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 I be like this, and I just be like... <laughs> that is like, my uh, personal and, and, and I cannot, I cannot go to sleep, and so I end up, like, especially on trips, I end up walking, Walking around, you know, not like like in a weird way, but like just like walk. I learned that walking or riding bicycles, like doing the exercise, it calms my mind. Or like it yeah. kind of melts me out, so I'd be able to come back, take a shower, and then I get back in the bed. Uh-uh, <laughs> if I go to sleep after, after that four o'clock, like if I get back to sleep, I'm not waking up until I'm ready. Really? <laughs> I'll sleep early alone. It's crazy. Man. Yeah, I want to see understand you guys' mindset a little bit better to know these things. Yeah, that's why some days I'm like, don't touch me, don't speak to me. And so, and so, <laughs> I'm not trying to be rude. Yeah. I just know how I am. Yeah, so yeah, there's yeah. always that chance I'm like, I'm just going to be reserved for me, right? Right, right, right. Because if I just happen to be one of those bitchy moves, I say in me. See, anything. sometimes, and like a lot of times, like, I get overwhelmed with crowds. Mm. Like, if it's too many people in my space, like, I, 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 sh- I shut down. Oh, what is it today? Like, so I shut, I just, 
and I'm not mad at nobody. Yeah. I'm not, I don't have attitude. I'm just in myself. And then, like, we get somewhere else when I be like, and now I feel walking all the Unless there's music. I have that. Y'all, I literally, maybe I was born to be a dancer. When music comes on, I literally can't control my body. It's like, oh, I got to step. I got I to gotta <laughs> dance. Um, like, I got to. I have to. It's, so it's a therapy. And every time it's I'm going to step, like, yeah. every time it happens, I'm going to step, and I'm going to have to food. Yeah, it's a therapy, and I've seen it in uh, very many spheres of treatment for people that have some sort of trauma, or maybe they have some sort of behavioral disorder or whatever. Music and artistry are definitely huge ways to get people out of those, you know, disaster areas where they feel like they're going to have a breakdown, or they feel like they're going to get violent, or they feel like they're going to fall into depression. So yeah, Uh, I know sometimes like I shut down and I go in my room. I just close the door and I'll be just like, just like this. All the lights off and I'll just be in there and just, yeah. in there. And my mom should be like, Kevin, you gotta come out. Like, she <laughs> she knows that when I get my moves, like, if I get quiet like that, he was like, uh uh-uh, uh, get your ass up. Y'all ain't gonna let you just sit here. And my mom, she be like, uh uh-uh, get up. Go do something. Like, get, get up. Did you know you're supposed to put your phone down an hour before you? really want to go to sleep. Yeah. And that is really important for people with AD, uh, DMAB. Because it engages certain chemicals in your brain. And they, they, stay, they stay, yeah. And I tried it one day and I put it down an hour and I didn't go to sleep until the hour was up. Yeah. And I slept to talk better. That's why most phones now are coming out with these new filters that dim the lights and colors yeah, of uh-huh. your phone so that it makes it more com- Oh man, this making me real tired. I'm going to put that away. And mm-hmm. you're out. Yeah. I was, uh, yeah, that worked for me sometimes. Sometimes. Yeah. Sometimes. No, you don't 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 worry, dude, because these people that listen, they don't know me and I don't know them and they don't know y'all. Um, and, and if you don't want to use your real just, name, that's fine. Oh, did I use my real name? No, you didn't no, use your real but name. But you used my real name. <laughs> but we did use your real name. And, and there ain't nothing wrong with that. You're a local celebrity up in Dallas area, so don't worry about it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's 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 I have to watch what I say in real life. Yeah, until until ten years from now, I'm on Broadway stage, and this shit comes back to bite me in the ass. <laughs> by that point, they're gonna be able to like plug your voice into something to find every recording made of you. And be like, oh, let's oh, listen to this. Don't have mercy. That's well, I, I don't have to save it. We can just save this well, for ourselves. Okay, and we can always reflect back on. Okay. Oh, well, it's not a live listen. No, I mean, no, I can get people on here live and they can broadcast with me live, but people aren't listening to it live. I post it up and then they find it under my library of uh, episodes. Like I did an interview with Doc uh, right before the show for like 10 minutes. Uh-huh. And so that's on there. And then I've got Ooh. other interviews with uh, like Korea veterans, World War II veterans, Ooh. just so random people. You, you served in the um, service. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I'm so sorry. I, I say service because... I get either, I don't know if I'm supposed to say army as the big branch or military. You said military. Military service. And just say you served. You served. And you that served. covers I, I everybody. Just, okay, because I don't want to like be disrespectful. Yeah. But how was that? Like, how was that process? Can you so, give me a massage while we talking? You better bring your ass over here. Okay. Yeah, let's change clothes. Change clothes. Get your nasty feet out of my bed. Uh, my feet ain't nasty. Uh, <laughs> you don't want to smell. Please <laughs> Lay your ass down. So um, okay, so okay, I'm ticklish. I'm ticklish. Right, okay, wait a minute. Okay, wait a minute. Okay, listen, I'm ticklish. You guys to really be really rough. You have to like. Okay. I'm really. Can you just do my back? It didn't work your way down. Lay down. Please. The the Lay facial down. expressions right now, y'all can't see them, but God, they are priceless. <laughs> they are 
they're priceless. Uh, Irvin's you're enjoying this too much. I'm so, and I'm not playing it. Lay your damn things out, and it's, I won't be ticklish. I promise. I, I don't know how to stop it. Come on, lay down. You gonna stop it? It's, it's a panic response. Just jumped. Yeah, getting up in there. Can you do my vape first? Irvin, please don't. Irvin, please don't. Lay down. Hell. Okay. Ooh. There we go. Yeah, he can't. He can't help it. Yeah, Jalen's like the first thing she noticed about you is how nice your ass is. Oh my God, she was stitching on my booty. Was she? We got this dirt to put on my damn bed. I did not. What dirty? That's from your feet. Bitch, no, it ain't. I, I didn't touch the bed. Yeah, these pants are clean, man. I yeah. just. <laughs> this is dirty ass sweater. That's funny how my, how my bed is in brown. <laughs> so back to your question. Um, it's hard to have your own identity outside of the military. So you get out of the military or you're in the military and you're walking around civilians. You know, they can't get your shit right unless you're Army because everybody's familiar with the Army. The Army's the big branch. Mm-hmm. Kind of like everybody's familiar with Hollywood. Even if you didn't act in Hollywood, you acted in New York. Oh, you're from Hollywood. How is it out there? I don't, I don't live in fucking California. Right. I live in New York. Anyway, it's the same idea. Um, I'm in the Navy and I wear a uniform that even says fucking U.S. Navy on the chest. Right. And you're like, oh, soldier, thank you for your service. It's like, I'm not in the fucking Army. Come on, guys. All you got to do is just look. It's right I, I th- there. I think it's the ignorance of knowing what you do. Yeah, and then, and it's just people, you know, they they have good intentions to come up here and be, like, grateful that you give your time and your energy to what you do. But then it's also, like, you could just care a little bit more. Mm. You can see what it says no, right there. That's still better. I ask if you're a veteran because across all branches it's still considered sure. a veteran. Right? Yeah, right, right, right. Yeah. So, uh, so can you tell, me, tell us about your job? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I have no problem discussing my career. Uh, I was in eight years. I turned 19 in boot camp. Um, I went to boot camp up in Illinois for the U.S. Navy. Uh, By the time I finished boot camp, I went right down the street to Naval Training Center Great Lakes, which is closed now. Uh, The conditions up there, the weather conditions were just really poor in the winter, and they're like, well, we want to train people throughout the entire year and not, you know, have things suffer just because it gets cold. So they shut all that down and moved to San Antonio, and while I was there, Excuse me, I was uh, training for a hospital corpsman. Hospital corpsman is your basic hospital uh, medical assistant. He works with a nurse. Mm -hmm. He works with a doctor. They change bed sheets. They uh, start IVs. Um, I've treated wounds in people's legs, in people's arms. I've given birth control shots. Uh, I've splinted broken bones. I've cleaned out infections. I've looked inside of ears. I've uh, listened to the heartbeat of babies. Uh, You name it, we do just a little bit of all of it. So you're like a jack-of-all-trades. Okay. And then you get a specialty. In the Navy, you either start as a basic or you move and get a specialty. Now, you've got to get a specialty if you're going to move up in rank. Mm-hmm. If you're going to get promoted, you've got to get a specialty of some kind. Okay. Now, for the contract I signed, I signed a very short contract which demanded that I deploy. And my deployment meant that, you know, with me being a 19-year-old male, I had to go through what was called field medical service school, which they ended up training, changing it to field medical training battalion, which meant that I went through paramedic school for the military. Okay. So I was um, doing medicine for, for combat, for people that got shot, for people that got blown up, wow. for people that had shrapnel injuries, burn injuries. Go ahead. Oh, yeah, that's all of us at Grimaldi's. Mm-hmm. Me, Noah, Jamonte. He walked all the way out there, man, like a champ with that knee brace on because his knee was all jacked up. The, the, the food was okay. I would yeah, say I it was the best. Yeah, it's in Brooklyn. I wanted to go to Vermont. I told you, you I wanted to go. You did not tell me that. I told y'all we all talking about it in What do you mean, y'all? We all talking about it in Brooklyn because that was like, 
Y'all was like, um, somebody said, um, like, Grimaldi, we have or, to go to Grimaldi's. Like, we we said that we were you. going, and y'all said that y'all were going somewhere else. No, that's not what happened. No, I meant today. We didn't know you were going to Grimaldi's today. It's okay, girl. I thought y'all had somewhere y'all had to be. It's okay. Act like y'all ain't went somewhere without us, goddammit. <laughs> well, y'all been invited. Yeah, we were invited. We did invite Well, Ethan feels like he ain't been invited anywhere with anybody. He really? feels like he's wow. up there at, like, a, uh, a hermit in the room. No, he's the same. I invited him here. today, and he was like, nah, I'm not going to go. Yeah. Well, that's why he said that, because he feels like he's not included. And I think it's uh, mostly Jalen and the others. He but they like saying them are females and they're young. Yeah. Oh my god! But this is why I say people <laughs> have to grow up. This is not funny. I, I I've always you've known him I like that. Know, I have a huge group of friends. Yeah, yeah. And it's always somebody's not invited. If you're here being discussed in front of you, you are invited. invited. Yeah. You don't say something in front of somebody that they're not invited. Especially to. when we on a trip like when we on a trip like this. Is I like, can't where stop going. I wanna going. Go. If you say I want to go, then you, you just go. go. Yeah. I guess I need to drill that into him. It's like, if you want to go, and for some reason he feels like he needs to run around with me. Um, I'm the type of person, dude, I would fly solo in a fucking heartbeat. Mm-hmm. You'll see me over in the Brooklyn area, and then the next minute up in no- or North Manhattan, and I'll just be fucking getting it. Yeah. Where am I going next, man? Curious George is going to climb the tallest building. Right. Anyway, um, but he's he's been kind of like running around with me everywhere, and, and it's not that I don't like it, but if he's complaining about not being able to go out with you guys, just just go. Yeah. Just, I asked him this know? morning. He didn't tell me he was going to the other things. He didn't, mm. I, I don't play childish games. I'm, yeah. I've dealt with two, yeah. two many, I'm 22 years old, and I the amount of stress I get from friends <laughs> is what a 40 year old goes through when she has kids. I can, I promise you. Yeah, yeah. There's, it's not necessary. It's not. It's not. And, you know, we're here. We're here to enjoy ourselves. We're here to have a good time and, and see the sights. Have a good time. And I, I'm telling you, man, with all the things that we haven't seen, I, I got to come back. I got to come back up here and see more. I haven't seen enough. It's this funny. It's like, it's like, even though like, I want to see the sights, but at the same time, it was like I still wanted to have time because I have not rested, y'all. Like, I have yeah. not, like, I have not. It's been show after show, but I, I've been working. I've worked full time and I go to a show. Work full time. Like, I have not rested, so I was like going to take this. So I've been like trying to chill. Like I haven't really been big on like trying to go see the sights. You know, yeah, like yeah, yeah. if I see some stuff, cool. But like I'm not. I saw my Broadway. Hello, that's all I really was here yes. for. Oh my yes. god, y'all! When I saw that stage, I was like, I'm good. That's so much space on that stage, <sighs> and you can see all the the the, the fucking tape, yeah. the spike tape that they had. I'm like, God damn, man! Mm-hmm. All those placements. The technical aspects of that stage. I like so just rolled in and rolled out. Oh, my God. And then the kids will pop up out the stage and slide like that. <laughs> and then I love how they just, they made the trend. How they just throw the, how they throw the, 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 throw the, like, the stairs. Stairs back underneath. And no. it can be loud. And they weren't trying to hide it. It was nope. like, fuck it. Just y'all push that what, bitch in with my foot. You see what the fuck we doing? And we going to back. But it was a part of who they were, though. Oh, my goodness. Gorgeous. Yeah. It was gorgeous. Yeah. They set the, the pace from the get-go. I'm so excited to see the fuck. I'm saying it goes wrong, y'all. Yeah. That's the comedy. Now, I love comedy. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I yeah. study yeah. comedy. Yeah. I study stand-up life. Hey, 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 hey. You ever see the Get your ass down. Oh. You're not done? You're done? Yeah. <laughs> Kevin's like, like, oh. Come on. <laughs> um, can you, like, do it, like, real hard, though? But, like, not, 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 not,
struggle with right trying to, with trying to fit into the social section, mm-hmm. and it, it makes it really hard for you. When I first came back to to, to Texas, I had been living in North Carolina, okay. and um, so it was how long was you in North Carolina? Because I remember you, when you played Jesus, mm-hmm. was that after or before your service? Uh, that was kind of in the middle. Um, really? So I had the first time I did Jesus, and I didn't cut my hair. Mm-hmm. That's because I was, I'm sorry, I did cut my hair. I cut my hair because I was in the reserves, which means uh, one week in a month, two weeks out of the year, I was with the military. Okay. And then I ended up getting, going to Afghanistan, so I went to Afghanistan, oh, wow. and I came back and I played Jesus a second time. And that's when I had the long hair, the wavy hair, and then the beard. You grew your hair out? Oh, dude, I didn't cut it for nine months, and it was down to my shoulders. Wow. Dude, I had a big-ass head of hair. Do it. No, it was so uncomfortable. Really? <laughs> you get over it. I bet you look cute with it. Well, with it wavy a little bit. I mean, the girl I was seeing at the time hated it, but that's all old news anyway. Okay. So. But, um... You said she gone. It yeah, it's all old news. Get on mouth. Dead asleep. Ah, no, 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 Okay, you remember that. I'm going to tickle the shit out of you. Yeah. What? You know how uncomfortable it is when your foot's asleep. I had to do it. You got to Kevin, you got to just do it. You have to just do it. You have to wake it up. No, stop. It's like, okay, and watch his waking up. Yeah. It's you working. To, you have to just do it. So, no, he's still asleep, bro. The, the real problem was is that um, people didn't seem to really, yeah, I mean, there's there's a couple more. Uh, hey, do you want one more order? Or you no, still? I'm good, bro. Okay. Um... The, the real problem for me was that, you know, people would say, thank you for your service, and then it felt like it was programmed. Like, uh-huh. you feel like you need to tell me that. And I even wrote this whole poem about it, too. Mm-hmm. Um, you feel like you need you to thank me. Okay. Yeah. You feel like you need to thank me for your ser- my service, but then you don't care about what any of the shit that I've been through or what I did. Yeah. You'll, you'll take, like, a minute to get to know me, and then you're on to the next thing. Yeah. Or you're waiting for the next magazine to come out. Or you're waiting yeah. for the next TV show to come on. I guess that's true. Because I guess, because I can say, I, I, I kind of do that. Like, I, I kind of just feel compelled, like, because I don't know your story. I don't know what yeah. you've been through. So all I can say is, like, thank you. Yeah. And then I, I, me personally, when I say it, I'm thanking for your service. And I think that should be spotlight brought. But I know my dad. My dad was, he's a veteran. And a lot of people know that. But in that... He did what he did because he wanted to serve the country. Yeah, right. He didn't do it for the spotlight. He didn't do yeah, it for yeah. the publicity. That's true. So he doesn't like for us to go out and go, oh, he's a veteran. Y'all yeah, I don't like that like, shit either. He, and so that, when I was, hey, thank you for your service. I was yeah, right, outside. Because you don't want all this attention drawn to you. Sure, sure. For one, because if you're a PTSD person, it's a lot of times that draws a lot of crowds. Yeah. And people forcefully yeah. come upon you and you're like, and so yeah. I, I, I try to be sensitive in that matter, you know, so. I, re- I try to read people different. Hey, people, do, do y'all want to hear my piece about when I got blown up? I got a poem that I wrote. You got blown up? Yeah, I got hit by an IU bus. No. You want to hear? Yeah. Uh, if it's going to make me cry, I'm going to hear No, no, it's, it's short. It's only like two minutes. I got a fart. I said it's going to make me let cry. Let it free. No, it ain't going to let you make you cry. But you'll definitely feel like, damn. <laughs> Can I record it? Uh, I'm recording it right now. Okay. But I you want to record it on your own phone, yeah? Yeah, you can go Um So I was at the New Yorican Poets Cafe for Slam Poetry Night, and I did it for them, too. Uh, they didn't. It was okay. There was a, a lukewarm crowd. But anyway, um, so this was June 6, 2008. That's my mama's birthday. We were, um, we were moving down one of our routes, uh, one of those roads that we would normally take when we were in vehicles. Now, the thing about tonight, this night... When we were getting ready to go out on this convoy, I had been going out three times a day, every day for six days. I hadn't had a break. And so this other guy that was my companion, 
I was medical, he was medical. Mm -hmm. He just came from a three-day operation where they were outside of the base for three days. They were sleeping at somebody's house. They were doing watch every like four hours. It, he was really tired. Why did he need to come tonight? Sorry, I know that was... So, so what happened is, is that he came back to the base. Mm -hmm. yeah. And that night, we were going to go do what's called a tactical insertion. We were going to take our, our trucks, we were going to drop some people off, and then we were going to come back. So... Originally, I was going to be going and doing that insertion. I was going to be with the guys that got out of the trucks. But the dude that was with me is like, hey, dude, you gone with six days without a break. You need to take the night off. Start fresh tomorrow so that you can go home and get some sleep and you don't have to be out there all night. Cool. Sounds good. Well, when he said that, you're going to go in the first vehicle. All right, cool. I'll go in the first vehicle. Oh, God. So I loaded up in the first truck, and that's the truck mm -hmm. got hit by the homemade explosive. So it was a homemade explosive inside of a pipe that was roughly the length of your bed. Excuse me. They had stuffed it with explosive and ran a, uh, a copper wire from, from it. It's called a, de uh, a detonation wire, mm -hmm. command detonation wire. So you press a button, sends a pulse through the wire into the pipe, boom. So um, we're in these ar armored vehicles, and we're going down the road, and it's probably like 11 o'clock at night. I'm sitting in the back of the truck, and I really want to sleep, but I can't because i got to be awake. i got to be alert. I can't fall asleep right now. And i got my weapon in my hand, and this, the next thing I hear is BOOM! Boom, the loudest boom I've ever heard in my life. If you've ever been on a roller coaster and it stopped all of a sudden, that's exactly what I'm talking about. Wake up, Buttercup. The shit is getting real. Right now it's time to react to contact and get your bearings back somehow. Somehow I went from being a small town kid walking the block to getting blown up and shot at in the desert kicking up rocks. In a land full of killers, I'm the contradiction to their cause. I'm conditioned to look death in its face and put its machinations on pause. So I do what I was conditioned to do, search for life in a metal machine, but I can't help but question reality and what's really happening to me. But the time for questions is long gone. It's time to act and save lives, but my mission will soon change as I see what waits for me in the night. I check my team, they're good to go, and so am I. It's time to mount the metal beast. Lock and load, let's start the show. I got some spicy 7.62 round treats for Halloween this year. So as I take sight in a line, there's movement to my right, and I turn and spit shot, shot, shot from the iron monster's teeth. Satisfied, I realign. I'm quiet, but I'm not asleep. I never thought I'd have it in me to be true in the moment. I mean, even though I'll always carry that guilt, I will never see atonement. So all that music you hear about people being violent, yeah, they're all full of it. Because in my opinion, everybody wants to be a gangster until it's time to do some gangster shit. And that's it. That's what they say. Okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, okay. That's, uh, I wrote that one like a few years ago because uh, I came back to Waco and I joined a poet society. And the people that were in that society were like, you know, anti-war, anti-masculinity, strong feminine, anti-government. You know, Trump was running for president. He wasn't president yet, but he was running for president. And, you know, anti-Trump and all that stuff. And I didn't want to convince people to be pro-war. I didn't want to convince people to be pro-military. I wanted to reveal to them that there's a side of life that involves the war that they haven't seen. And maybe that'll allow them to be a little bit more reflective. They look back on, on how they viewed and the words that they said about those things. Maybe they'll think twice. Maybe. I don't know. Well, that was, that was good. I, I like 
I often say to people because I say I, I don't do politics. Right. I mean it. I, I don't. I you can get somebody in the office, but I feel like changes come every two years, and that's because yeah, we grow. Shit. We grow as America. We Everything grow. changes. And so yeah. the man in the office is just holding a chair. He's just holding a title. Yeah. I never wish for a president to fail because if the president failed, we fail as America. But at the same time, I feel like a president doesn't have as much power as we say we give him. We walk around all day, every day. There are people who drop millions of dollars on donations to things. This <laughs> world is basically where no donations and money. Donations, quote, unquote, yeah, donations. It's just supposed to be given back or took, or took it from the next man, given to you. You know, and so oh, wow. I, I think a lot of people, when they, they, they want to go by the president or they want to put politics and their support for the military or their yeah. support for the... And it's not always that. It's who you are as a person, who you want to be, who we choose to be right. as a, uh, as America. I'm totally with you 100% there. Man. I am. It's and it's it's hard for me to... This is the, the conflict that you come across, is that you want people to have the respect, but then it's it's twisted because it's like you want them to have the respect that you think they should have. Right. But that's not what it's about. It's exactly. about everybody being their own individual. Mm-hmm. And so you've got to come to a place in your own personal ideology mm-hmm. where you're able to accept people that don't see you the way you want them to. Because you're not going to be the type of person, like you said, to stand in the spotlight, look at me, thank me for my service, you're welcome. You're not that type of person. But then in the same respect, you feel like they're coming up to you, thank you, Mr. Army Man, for your service. But what and, are you thanking for? <laughs> but what are, you, what are you doing this for? Yeah. I mean, and so, and what, what guys like me that have been downrange, that have been shot at, that have been shot, that taken shots at other people, that have you know, been, been in that, that mindset, you know, we see these guys coming back there's a picture, a cartoon that really accurately describes it. You see all these soldiers walking away with their, their rifle and their backpacks and they're saluting these officers as they march, right? And they're leaving. And so as they're coming back, you see them all marching and they got bandages and crutches and some of them got their helmet taken off and they got a wrap around their head, they got blood. And then these officers are saluting them and they're saluting the officers, but the officers have like this whole row of medals that they got from that war that they were just in. And those guys got bandages and bullets. Wow. <laughs> it sucks. <laughs> but, you know, the, the fact that I got to go over there, uh, there's still people that I talked to that I've met from 11, 12, 15 years ago. The guy that I went to boot camp with, who was 34 at the time, who got a waiver because he had a special language proficiency. proficiency. He was about five foot three. I mean, he squeaked by through boot camp. He should not have made it. But he had special skills. Anyway, I, I sent him a message about two months ago. He's back in Indonesia, and he's you know living a good life. Really? So all these people from all these walks of life, I met my first Puerto Rican in boot camp. Um, I made friends after that that I've kept in touch with over the last decade. One guy lives in Tennessee, and then when I went to Michigan and came back down, I got to stop at his house and catch up with him, and he told me stories about our deployment, like the night that I got blown up that I hadn't known before. So, you know, it's... It's all about the imperfect journey and all this, all the stories we get to share with each other. That's you know what's crazy about military? I'm not speaking down on it. No, go ahead, go ahead. Anyway, there is so much, infidel- I can't, infidelity <laughs> going on in that. Like, there's so it's many. so bad. Like, my, my biological dad, it's 11 of us running around here. <laughs> and six of us are within one year. Damn. Like a couple of us are like within the same month. Three of us are in the same month. And we're all 23. So tell me this. Okay. That phone something different. 
It was. I got another one. But tell me this. When the bomb went off. Yeah. Boom. What's next? What did you do? What did you do? Um, so I can so, I can break that down for so you guys. So you looked around and make sure everybody was good, right? Um, so we were in a we were in a. Wait, where was the bomb at? In your car or under your car? We were in a heavily armored bomb. It's called a, a multi-wheeled, high mobility, rapid assault, ambush protection vehicle. So it's not the little Humvees that you see, the little square ones. Okay. This was a big one. Okay. And so when the bomb went off, yeah, it shook me and messed my hearing up a little bit. But the guy that was in the turret gun, so when that bomb went off, the pressure from that blast was worse than any football hit you've ever had in your life. It's worse than any car wreck you've ever been in because not only was he knocked unconscious, but he locked up. So his, his immediate reaction was to just do like this. And he's wearing body armor, a helmet, and everything. He fell from that turret gun on top of the guy that was sitting in the chair in front of him. So you have two drivers, one guy's looking at a GPS, one guy's driving the vehicle, one guy's in the turret gun directly behind him. Chong fell down and fell on top of that guy. He smashed his head into the GPS, and plus, you know, all the blast and stuff that rocked them. The guy that was driving the truck also got a, a bad injury from the, from the blast, just from the force of the blast. It was so strong, the explosive, that it fucked their brains all up. And I, so when he fell, I saw that happen. So I, I snap to, and I see that happen, I'm like, shit! So I grab him, and I just start feeling around for bleeds. I'm looking for blood. If there's anything that, that is causing the bleed, I need to plug it. So once I start, just do a quick sweep, I don't feel any blood, I'm like, okay, move him away from there, sit him here, and get all his shit off. So we start taking everything off of him. And I'm screaming in his ear the whole time for him to wake up. But the problem is, is that that blast knocked his hearing out for about a, yeah, that's exactly it. And, um... That, that high-pitched noise was still in his ears, even though I'm screaming at him, wake up, wake up, motherfucker. <laughs> he, he can't hear me. So I'm just sitting there, like I'm bursting over him, and I remembered that I had some smelling salts inside, of, like the boxer smelling salts. Mm-hmm. I had some in one of my packs, so I, ran in, I went in and got it, I cracked it, and he woke up immediately. The problem smelling with that salts, is... What that is before sir, goes off. Smelling salts is a chemical that when, you, when you're knocked out, you wave it in front of someone's nose, it wakes them up. Oh, if they do that. If they're already unconscious, then it will, I'm sorry, if they're already conscious, it doesn't work. If they're unconscious, they used it in the boxing arenas back in like the 50s and 60s. Oh, you were anxious, like. Yeah. Oh, God, what the fuck? You got knocked out, man. You're done. Yeah. You're going home. So <laughs> with him, the problem was is that new research has shown that when someone has a concussion, they need to stay asleep. Yes. Because it's more traumatic for the brain for them to wake up and be awake in that disorientation and that damage. But if they're asleep, then they can work through it. The brain and the body can heal from that damage. Right. It's all real medical. It, he should not have been woken up, but that's what I was told to do. I needed to get an idea of how bad the damage was. Yeah. And he wasn't making sense. He didn't know where he was. Um, just a typical brain injury. And that's just what it does to you. So he was down, and I checked the other two guys. They were fucked up. Um, our lieutenant came and was like, can you guys drive? Are you okay? I'm like, yeah, we'll be all right. They, that was a lie. All right, go to the hospital. Go right now. So they all got back in their vehicles. We got in our truck. And I got on the turret gun, which I should have done. And that's when I ended up shooting that guy. But uh, I got up on the turret gun. And I should have done that because I should have stopped and said, hey, get these motherfuckers out of here and give me some replacements because they're all hurt. But I didn't do that because they said they were okay. And I took them at their word. But I was 20 years old, and I didn't know any fucking better. Right. So, anyway, um, they start driving, 
and we leave like two other vehicles behind. Us and one other vehicle come with us to take us to the hospital. Well, what happened is when we started leaving, the other two vehicles started getting shot at. Yeah. So this was what's, what you call a complex ambush. You have the bomb that goes off and then a team that's trying to shoot the guys after the bomb goes off. And um, so they get they get on the radio. It's like, hey, what is going on here? We're getting shot at. We need permission to go and chase these people down and shoot back because we're at a time now in the war where we just can't shoot first and ask questions later. You don't know if you're going to hit a kid. You don't know if you're going to hit a woman. You don't know if you're going to hit a friendly. This is this is the middle of the night. We can't see shit anyway. So um, the the real fucked up thing is about this whole scenario. I found out after the fact that when we were going to the hospital, our guys ran into town and they found somebody taking shots at him. So they go up in his property, uh, they find him, they, they take him down, they, they uh, handcuff him, and they start doing tests on all of his property and it finds out that he was making homemade explosives. He had gunpowder residue on his hands, he had been shooting a gun, um, he had the materials that, to make the homemade explosive that blew up right next to our truck. Uh, anyway, it turned out that he did try to kill us, but he was a SEAL team asset. And even though we were gonna take him and put him in jail and let him get questioned, they came down and said, no, he's with us, you can't take him. What do you mean you can't take him? We're 100% sure that he just tried to kill some of our people. Well, he's with us, he's one of our guys, we can't let, can't let him go. So they had to snatch him back up? He's one of the... SEAL teams, guys. He was a SEAL team collaborator. He worked with the SEALs. Yeah, there was a Navy SEAL team in that area and uh, he was one of their people that worked alongside them to say, hey, that guy's bad, that guy's bad. Did he fall oh, for America? Oh, he two-faced it. Like yeah. a lot of these hoes walk around here. <laughs> yeah, he tried, to, he tried to kill me and some of my friends. Uh, so Chong, Jason Chong, a Vietnamese Jamaican from Atlanta, Georgia. Oh, my um, boy. You had one. Yeah, he was, he was something else. Um, his, his traumatic brain injury was so bad that he had to go to Germany. From Germany, he went back to the U.S., and his attitude, so usually with brain injuries, your personality just goes in the fucking toilet. You get much meaner, much more aggressive, and that's what happened. He was already a mean motherfucker. He was bad as hell. And let me tell you something about Chong. Chong would yell at you for the smallest thing. We, we would come in off of patrol and turn a light on, and he'd be sleeping in his little bed, and he'd have all these sheets around it to try to keep the light out. As soon as you turn that light on, Man, shut that fucking light off. I ain't had before four hours of fucking sleep. None of us had before four hours of fucking sleep. So I'm going to fuck back. Anyway, <laughs> he was that kind of guy. And then after this accident, uh, just things got so bad that they ended up having to separate him. So he got, I, I don't, don't want to say kicked out of the Marine Corps, but he got released from the Marine Corps. Yeah. But he has, he has purple heart, so he'll always have that. Um, didn't see him again until October when we got back and his hair was all grown out, which if you're an infantry marine, you don't do that. He hadn't shaved in a couple of days. It was like, something's going on with Sean. And then, anyway. That's uh, scary. Yeah. Yeah, it changed him. It changed him. But now he's got a family. He plays soccer. Good. He was in Florida. He, he, really, he really changed his life. So. Good. But yeah, um, I got another poem about my, my childhood that's really good, and I'll share that one later on. Oh, I feel so happy. <laughs> my heart, my heart. Oh my, just to be in that situation to hear like the real life situation that you, you know, to, yeah, like, yeah, to hear most definitely. It's like, whoa. And I mean, I had guys tell me this one dude. I knew him from when I was in Illinois, and I knew him back in 2007. I see him again back in 2000 and 
11, I'm getting ready to go to Afghanistan, and he's working in Mississippi, and he went over to Iraq, and he was talking about how he and his, his, his Marines were walking around the city one time, and they had just passed a graveyard, or a cemetery, a cemetery, they had just passed the cemetery, and somebody had shot one of their guys to the neck, yeah, they just passed the cemetery, and somebody got fucking killed, yeah. you can't make that shit up, but you know, there's plenty of stories about people getting through some serious shit out there. You know, it, it it became at one point just an everyday fact of life, and it's all it's all about how you deal and your coping me- mechanisms after the fact. Because you know, you can't be living in the moment that killed those guys or anybody you know. Because you're supposed to keep living, and if you live in that moment every day, then they die every day, and nobody wants to go through that. Mm. Anyway, I'm not doing that shit no more. If I could go back, I'd do it again, but here I am with you fine people in the great city of New York. Having a grand old time. Seeing Times Square for the first time just blew my mind. Yeah. Yeah. This is me. Very grateful to be here. Very grateful, you know. Very grateful to be here. Especially, man, you know, coming here, celebrating game and stuff. Yeah, and I gotta say, man, really, that's that's a big blessing for us. Especially, you know, us going back a couple of years yeah. to our first performance. You know, they still, we still have our picture of me and you in the just room where I was flexing. <laughs> All right. Yeah, still, it's still on Facebook. It pops up. That's a good time, man. Yeah, great. So for our for our listeners out there, um, I played the role of Jesus in a play at Navarro College, and no. Kevin was the were you the rich young man, the wealthy man. I think so. I, th- I think you were. Because you, th- you said the line, it's easier for a man to... Pass through the eye of a needle than to mm-hmm. enter the kingdom of God. Yeah, with riches and all that stuff. Because you were worried about your property. It, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Kevin was the, the wealthy man that approached Jesus. And Jesus told him that, you know, you need to go sell, give up all your possessions. And he didn't want to do it. So yeah. that's when I first realized Kevin. I realized back then that Kevin had something special in him for, for acting. Right. And at the time, I don't think that you really were in, into acting all that much. I was. Were you? Yeah, I was. At the time, I didn't. I wasn't sure, mm-hmm. and so I was like, "You should really go into acting. You should really go." And he's always like, "Thank you, oh, thank you." <laughs> <laughs> he was. He was pretty modest. He was pretty modest. He he didn't really. He didn't have a big head about himself back then. I, I don't know. I don't know how things are going in Dallas. I just hope that it's going well. Yeah, they're uh, going pretty well. They're yeah, going pretty well. I can't claim God has really shown me favor favor upon my life, and my career. Yeah, you definitely got some flavor. <laughs> like uh, in my in my career, uh, I've been very blessed. A lot of things. Tell me about that transition to Dallas. How'd you get up there? What what was that like for you? Well, you know, I'm from Dallas. I'm from uh, yeah. born and raised in Dallas. So when I left Navarro, I left Navarro to attend Katy Conservatory, which is a performing arts school where you study either musical theater, acting, or film. And so I was getting trained in musical theater. Taking ballet, tap, jazz, acting, Shakespeare, voice, dialect, like taking all those classes like that. And um, from there, um, being in that school, I, I, I booked my first show, which was The Producers. Uh, <laughs> I've seen that movie. Yes, I've seen the movie. The, listen, the show, the, the stage production is even better. <laughs> and uh, I was the only black guy. Really? I was the only black guy. So, 
tell me, I know in the movie they have a an elevator an elevator scene where three of them are in the elevator and they're just like trying to awkwardly get a good position mm -hmm. where they're not like really cramped on each other. Did y'all have that in the theater? No, production? that's 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 not that's not in the production. Um, what's in the production? Um, you go from yeah, he does that. You go from Max Bialystok um, and his little nasty little thing with old women, <laughs> and to him eating um, Bloom, and then to um, Bloom going to work, yeah. you know, whatever. And I played the black accountant. I had me a little solo, you know what I'm saying? And <laughs> I thought I was doing something. Um, uh, then you had your gaze, keep it gazing oh, with. Um, you know they go get the the script from the yes 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 oh my goodness they, so you go to bed and you go through um, them um, meeting old dude the pigeon guy <laughs> and then you know, and then you have, I forgot about that you have a big number with like fifty grandmas on stage with walkers <laughs> doing the whole thing like we dressed as I dressed Ooh. as our old grandmother and it was so much fun we had karaoke with walkers we had this like oh it was amazing. Did you know when you went to college that you wanted to be a teacher? Because you hear oftentimes. I didn't know what I wanted to do, and then I ended up getting, you know, moved in this direction. Uh -huh. Did you know firsthand or beforehand? Um, I when say? I first was in the bar, my, my, uh, my major was general studies. Mm -hmm. Because, like, I know I wanted, to, I wanted to perform, but I didn't think my parents would have it, you know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. Type of, or, the, or, or that I was going to study it. And then I made a decision. I was like, you know, it's my life. I'm about to change my major to theater. Boom. Yeah. And it was just like that. Literally, it was just like that. And, um... <laughs> And I, uh, I didn't think I was going to be a teacher because, I, like I said, I want to be a performer. I want to be a performer. And so, but I learned that, that being a performer, I, my, 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 my joy for being a performer is not just performing, but it's to inspire the generation under me. Yeah. And to enrich them and to give them opportunities to see things, to see somebody from Dallas or see a black guy or, you know, whatever, doing it. Right. And being like, I can do it. You did it. What did you do? Right. You, know, you know what I mean? Because I know it was one point where I was looking for that one person to be like, what did you do? How can I do it? What right. I, you know what I mean? So, and so now being, being a teacher, I'm able to give them real life advice, yeah. give them professional how to behave in a theater, how to conduct a rehearsal, how to perform, you know, things like that on a real life Absolutely. professional. So, yeah, it's all about, I didn't know I wanted to be a teacher, but now I'm like, yeah, this is definitely what I want to do. And maybe after performing or even in the midst of performing I can still go mentor and you know give back and you know do classes and stuff like that. That'd be great. Yeah I, I, I want I really want to encourage the generation under us to go for your dream. Right. Like don't settle like you can do anything you want to do. If your heart right. says you want to go flip burgers right. for McDonald's you be the best burger flipper at McDonald's that you can be. That you know what I'm saying? Be. Absolutely. I just I, I'm I, growing up you I was around a lot of I could have would have should have. No I shit. could have, no shit. you know yeah. what I mean. And I've I, ever since I was a kid, I was always said I would, I don't ever want to say that. Don't ever want to say that. Ever want to say, man, I could have, I should have, I would yeah. have. You know, I want to be like, man, I did it. You know, I did it. Yeah, I, I took that step. So yeah. And here we are in New York taking that step. 
and New York was coming here was a was a battle because right. I had already had book cats. Yes, yes, I heard about that. I that heard. was very exciting just to hear. Yeah, I like, book cats. He's gonna be in cats. I booked Rum Tum Tugger. Rum Tum Tugger, and I, I was so excited. I was so excited, but then Doc came with this opportunity. I'm like. New York, or <laughs> yeah, you know, and I luckily I performed at the theater, theater before, and I worked with the people who's doing cats. So um, I take it as, a, hey, I've done it before. You know, this I've, New York City, absolutely. You know what I mean? And, and no, you can look at it in a way that you know. I'm not saying that what you would have had in Dallas at Cats is any less not than at what you're all. having. Here. Like I told, I told the director because we were doing a show together. Yeah, yeah, you were doing yeah. Seven Brides, Seven Brothers. I was telling her, I was like, either way it go, no matter what I choose, I'm winning. Like, yeah. both of these, I would never, I'm not losing. Only thing I would lose is the other opportunity. Yeah, But right. other than that, like, if I did Cats, duh, it's yeah. winning. <laughs> if I did New York, duh, uh, I'm winning. I'm like, winning. you know what I mean? I can't, what, what, how do I make up my mind? Literally. But then Dr. O'Neill steps in and it's like, okay, Dr. O'Neill, you got me. <laughs> Literally, like, I'm like, yeah, Doc, he said everything paid for. Okay. I can definitely come. <laughs> I can definitely do this show. I can definitely, and it's funny. Like I was telling you, I did my meal before I did Seven Brothers, and I was planning to go to New York. I'm like, okay, I gotta save this, and I gotta do this because I want to go to New York in September, or you know, as soon as possible. And then Doctor um, um, Doc came with this opportunity. I'm like, wow, you know. And I felt the same way at, at first. I, I get the script in hand, and I'm thinking. I, I don't know who I'm gonna be in this. I don't know what I can give to this. Mm-hmm. I, I know I can act, but what what she's asking for, I, I don't know if I can give it. But it's New York, man. What if I just get out there and try? What if I just get out there and do it? And so I, on this podcast, well, not this one, on a podcast that my brother does, I was telling him about my hesitation to agree and my hesitation to do it and commit because you know, one, it costs a lot of money to do this. Two, it costs a lot of time. And three, I, I just felt really uncertain about my ability to be the right person in the right place mm-hmm. to make this production really work. And then I just realized it's like, you know, when am I ever gonna get to do this again? When? When? Am I am I am I ever gonna get to do I this again? I still have the poster when we did it in Navarro. Oh uh, I still have that one on poster. It's so crazy. Yeah. And the so next thing you know, we're gonna see this thing on tour. And we're gonna be like, <laughs> Hey, I, I was in that before it be ever became big. Yeah. And so it's a point of pride. And so, and there's also the point that, you know, like you said, I'm doing it to inspire others. For, for me, I, I'm doing it to, to inspire other people to come and, you know, put themselves out there mm-hmm. to be bold and to be brave and to, and to strike out into something unknown. And also to do it for the experience of being with you, yeah. you guys. Man, I mean, when, when am I going to get to hang out with you all yeah. again and spend, yeah. you know, an evening going down to Times Central, you know, yeah. or Times Central, Central, uh, whatever the fuck it's called, Times Square, and, and go, you know, to see plays, to see Jeff Daniels walk on the stage. When he walked out on that stage, dude, Listen. golly, seeing him in that suit, I'm like, don't get me wrong, Jeff Daniels, he's he's not. Who's an actor to compare it to? He's not uh, Marlon Brando. He's not uh, Al Pacino. He, he's but not. But he's Jeff Daniels. But he's Jeff Daniels, and I got to see him, and I got to look him in the eyes and say, "Good work," you know. And anyway, man. So it was that was cool. It's definitely it's definitely an amazing experience. I yeah. will never forget this. Oh my goodness. Yeah, this is one for the pages. Oh God. The history books, y'all. I'm, I'm having the time of my life. I'm just so happy. Just so blessed and just yeah. like 
And let's not get it twisted. It's a lot of work for all of our listeners out okay, there. Just yes. Don't 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 get it twisted. This isn't all fun and games. We have fun, but we are working out. <laughs> oh yeah. Out to make sure we have fun again. Okay? Yeah, boy. No, you better believe it. I mean, it's it's great getting up out, out there on that stage and, and putting on a show for people. But in the same respect, this this ain't this ain't easy. <laughs> Especially for me. I mean, musicals or uh, theater productions that involve dance or theater productions that involve you know. Light, warm and fuzzy family feelings are hard for me because I didn't grow up in a, a warm and fuzzy type of family. Kind of like Irvin, um, me with my family, I, I had plenty of division. I had, uh, you know, plenty of moments where we all wanted to hurt each other, and not just in the "I'm going to pull your hair away" like let's go outside and fight kind of way. Yeah. And so we're coming into this play where you know the family unit is like, we love each other, we're happy, we laugh and smile. It's like, oh, man, I don't know, I, I just don't know. And so anyway. All that to say, this has been a challenging but a very rewarding experience. And I'm so glad you got to come along. Yes, so you. glad you got to come thank along. You, thank you. I'm just so happy to be here and to and then the part that I have like I have fun I have fun with my part every night. I have fun. I have a good time. That's all that matters. It's so much fun. I haven't yeah. done a straight play in a while. I've been doing a lot of yeah. musicals. Where you dancing and singing like listen. It's been good for me to get out of my comfort zone. Yeah. Yeah. I'm excited. I'm excited. Yeah, that was the start. Yay. Yeah. Uh, who knows, man? I mean, Ethan and I have, have mentioned the idea. We've entertained the idea of coming back up here. So maybe next summer we'll see. So. And, uh, anyway, we're coming up on an hour mark, and we have an hour time limit for each episode. So I'm going to go ahead and kill it here. I want to thank you all listeners for being here. I want to thank... Kevin, for being here tonight. Kevin, you got anything you want to say before you sign out? Thank y'all. Follow me, Music Boy KD, M U S I Q B O Y KD. That's on all social media. Outstanding. And thank you for being with us tonight. And uh, look forward to or be on the lookout for 911 Gnomes, a Christmas emergency. We'll have a video posted somewhere, I imagine. Uh, we're at the Rave Theater Festival all week that's running until like the 25th of August. Yep. There are other shows that'll be playing. Uh, make sure you get a chance to, you know, give them a look, see what they're playing. Maybe you'll enjoy another show besides ours. I don't know. Yeah. Um, but definitely, definitely just give it a chance because theater is uh, it's magical. It makes dreams come true. And Dr. O'Neill has said it herself. Her dream came true by getting this play, play out here. Anyway, thank you all. Have a good night and appreciate you all listening to us. Hi, this is Kyle. It's nice to meet you all. I'll be your tour guide for about half we're a pretty big group, so we'll uh, split it up with another guy. You'll see the same thing, just different routes around on top of each other. But good morning, welcome, beautiful day outside. And today we will be exploring the grounds and the historic catacombs of the Basilica of St. Patrick's Old Cathedral. And actually, before we get started, how many of you knew there were two St. Patrick's Cathedrals? Yeah, okay, okay. Well, this is much more than yesterday's group, so that's good. But the, uh, the next question is, it's not because you went to the wrong one looking for the tour, right? Take the train down. So, to be fair, there's actually quite a lot of New Yorkers that are not aware that this St. Patrick's exists. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Man, I've lived here for a few years. Just figured it out two years ago. Oh, Border Brooklyn? Jackson Heights, Queens. Actually, the same island, just different areas. But, um, yeah, not only is this the uh, first St. Patrick's Cathedral in New York, it's the first Roman Catholic Cathedral in New York. This is the first one to ever have a sitting bishop. Dates to 1850. 
The one you have uptown, Rockefeller Center, that's 1879. And when that went uptown and got finished, yeah, the bishop went up there. It's the new cathedral. This became the old cathedral. And it stayed a regular church, regular parishional church until eventually 2010. Yeah, nine years ago, it was raised to a basilica status. Any Catholics here who know what a basilica is? Mm. Yeah? Um, when the Pope comes to visit, you got it. You get an extra candle downstairs. Huh? <laughs> You're absolutely right. Um, She's done it for Oh, you're not? Oh, oh. But uh, you're absolutely correct. Uh, the Basilica is the official home residence of the Pope. Meaning he doesn't have to get procession here, but he can. If he comes to New York, it's last minute, nowhere else, this is where he's reserved. Has he done it yet? No. And that's mostly for crowd control reasons. You could probably fit 600, 650 people about maybe on a good day. When the Pope came in 2017, Pope Francis, he attracted about 20,000, 30,000 people. So yeah, they actually had to give a procession at the Basilica of Madison Square Garden, which is you know, not a church, but hey, close enough, that's enough people. Now most of this tour is going to be historical. It's all going to be a big history lesson, not so much focusing on the uh, religious or symbolic aspects, but we'll talk about the formation of the church, how and when it started, the transitioning of this historic neighborhood, and it'll tie into some of our historic residents down below. So, going back to when it started, 1783. It's the end of the American Revolution. November 25th, 1783. That's evacuation day for the British. British are going home. Now you have 25,000 New Yorkers, 1,100 of whom are Catholic, and they have nowhere to worship, zero Catholic churches. People forget, when all this was British colony, Catholicism isn't illegal, but British are gone, freedom of religion, they got the money for it. And the Catholics were all broken, had nothing. So they would petition France, asking the French consulate for some financial aid. Well, France just kind of bailed us out of a revolution, so they're pretty broke. France then broke to Spain. King Charles, Spanish crown, sends a thousand silver pieces over, and you can visit it today if you want, but we got our first Catholic church. 1785, St. Peter's, beautiful church too if you haven't seen it, it's on uh, Barclay Street, Middle World Trade Center. But then St. Peter's expands, they buy more land. 1803, they buy this territory. Originally a farm, they turn it into a cemetery. We'll talk more about that later. But cemetery goes up, five years go by, 1808, we have more Catholics, enough for a diocese, so it becomes official. 1809, they lay the cornerstone for St. Patrick's, and then, like I said earlier, well not, 1815. There it is, finish. Now, by any chance, did you happen to notice a big brick wall surrounding the church? So, that had to go up a few years later for some pretty terrible reasons. Uh, let's talk about the neighborhood. It's lovely today, beautiful weather, nice for a peaceful walk so far. You all look like you got here pretty safely. Nobody got shot and stabbed around on the way in. Good, wait till the night. No, no, totally fine. But if you go back 200 years ago, 1830s, this was the slum of slums. This was the most dangerous place to be. Daytime, nighttime, didn't matter. You'd find everything from kidnappings, forced prostitution, multiple gang activities, public mutilations and murders and stabbings and disease, because I had no plumbing, so you know, streets are pretty filthy, cholera, dysentery, great place to raise a family, right? Yeah. Actually, this is where the immigrants would have to raise their families, from the Irish, to the Italians, to the Chinese, to the Hispanics, and eventually the 20th century real estate developers. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen it today. Uh, but starting with the Irish, in the 1830s, 
They're coming over, escaping from the potato pen, and they're told right away, get out. You don't belong, go home. And of course, they can't get nice jobs, they can't move to nice neighborhoods, they have to live amongst all this filth and violence. And down the block, they had some pretty not so nice neighbors. If you're a big Martin Scorsese fan, you may appreciate this, and you can check it out for yourself after the tour. If you go down Mulberry, about a 15 minute walk, you'll eventually hit Columbus Park. That used to be the Five Points intersection. Gangs of New York. It's where you find the dead rabbits, Bowery Boys, Blood Uglies, Know Nothings, Roach Guards. And while those cats were doing their shenanigans, you also had another group of citizens who didn't like to call themselves a gang. No, they weren't a gang. They were a movement. They were the nativist movement. And with a name like nativist, yeah, they weren't American Indian, they were native New Yorkers. Second, third generation. <coughs> they hated the Irish Catholics so much, they would successfully burn a dozen Catholic churches from here to Philadelphia. That's why the wall went up. 1836 it was built. It worked, long story short, we'll talk about it later. Nobody got over it. But let's fast forward now. Let's go to 1879, when the Irish aren't as hated. Yeah, by 1879, new churches uptown. Irish go uptown. They're pretty loved now, but that's because in the 1880s we have a new group to hate, the Italian Yes. <laughs> Slowly, this whole transition from the Five Points neighborhoods to Italy, and pretty much the same thing. Go home, get out, you don't belong. Uh, never teaching their grandchildren Italian, assimilating to American culture. You would eventually go from 30 blocks of little Italy, with maybe 10,000 Italian citizens paying $100 a month, to now about one, one and a half block, about less than 100 Italian citizens paying $10,000 a month. Yeah, one bedroom since neighborhoods got up for 6,000, so you know. Well, 6,500. Yeah, actually, you really have Giuliani to thank for this. You go 100 years later. 1990s, Giuliani becomes mayor, gets a lot of the new age developers to come in, and yeah, they're going to flip buildings and real estate. But one big strategy they did take these old poor neighborhoods, crunch them into their little fancy acronymic sections, and the prices will go up even further. And yeah, Soho, south of Houston Street, NoHo, north of Houston Street, you get the idea. This is no longer with Italy. They now call it Nolita, north of Little Italy. Yeah, right? It's super expensive today. <laughs> Actually, yeah, you can pay anywhere from seven to fourteen million dollars for a condo. Townhouses can go from twenty-eight to twenty-five million dollars. So, you know, it's like prime real estate, need a roommate, let me know. Sitting in the bathtub somewhere, I guess. But um, that pretty much sets the tone for the tour. We'll fill all the gaps along the way and such. However, just a few things before we head over. We are a third-party organization. We don't work directly for the church. The name of our company is Tommy's New York. Tommy has been an active parishioner with this church for many years, so a lot of this is based on a very special relationship with the first and only organization ever granted the keys to the kingdom. I forgot my keys. So he wants to make a joke with the big key ring like there. So this is Leo Wilder. I appreciate it. So yeah, at the church's request, please no audio, no video recording of the tour, but all the photos you want. Pictures are A-OK, flash is fine, just keep it in good taste. If you want to put it on social media, that's fine as well. We're not about shameless advertising, so hashtag Tommy's New York. And also, just remember, it's a very active church. We may come across a few of the parishioners, a couple of the priests, uh, just be respectful in everything you say, everything you do. I trust you all, but just don't find anything, don't send in any monuments, we get the idea. Other than that, we're going to go here, our other handsome tour guide is going to take you. Oh, Some of you, the ones I don't like, no, check.
So, as he said, we're going to split you into a couple of groups. You're all going to see the same stuff, just in slightly different orders is all. Uh, so, all right, two more in here. Come on in, come on in, welcome. Just in time, we're about to split up and head across the street. So, what I'd like to do, if you two and everybody behind you, if that's one group, and you three, everybody in the front, that's another group, have I just split up anyone's families? Thank you for sitting in a way that made this really convenient to us. We appreciate that. And I know that's what you were going for. Uh, so, everybody in the back, get on up. You're going to follow me out. Good evening, listeners. This is... Aaron Rollins on Southeast Third Podcast. I'm here tonight with my castmate and special guest, Ethan Heron. And he plays the role of Doc in 911 Gnomes, A Christmas Emergency. We're on the last night of our stay here in New York. Tomorrow will be our last performance at the 911 Rave Theater Festival. Ethan, uh, you want to say a hello to all of our listeners out there? Hey, hey, what's up? So glad to have Ethan here for the broadcast to do a special interview with him. Uh, last night I did an interview with uh, Irvin and uh, Kevin. Kevin's not here with us tonight. He did his own thing. But um, today we watched a very special production of the play that goes wrong. And I've never really been into theater shows myself. But after my stay up here in New York, i got to say my interests have definitely shifted. And I might be going to see some more. Anyway, what were your thoughts about the show, Ethan? Oh, I thought it was great. Like, just timing was excellent. Um, comedies are always really different than musicals or dramas. Um, they usually get people more excited for theater, personally. So, Ethan, let's talk about your credentials and why you're able to speak on this uh, subject matter the way that you do. You you have your teaching degree. Mm-hmm. And what's that in? Uh, my teaching degree is actually in science. <laughs> Imagine that. Yeah. But what do you teach? I teach theater and speech. Imagine that. <laughs> and how long have you been doing that for? Uh, it's my fifth year teaching, but my fourth year teaching theater. Awesome, awesome. And where'd you get your degree from? I went to Texas A&M University of Commerce, and I'm thinking about going ahead and getting my master's in theater. Outstanding. And well, have you looked at colleges for that, where you want to go? Um, University of Houston's got a great program. Yeah. Um... Otherwise, I'll be looking at probably A&M Commerce as, uh, again. Yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. What made you uh, lean towards theater? Have you always been in theater? Well, it's interesting. Um, I got involved in theater in junior high for one-act play, and then high school as well. Just did one-act play. We did really, really well when I was in high school. One-act play? Yeah. Yeah, man, I'm all about that. And then, uh, so, like, when I, we did, we went to state my junior year and got second, and it was a comedy. That's the... It's one of the best comedies I've ever been a part of, and one of the best just looking back and seeing it. Like the what time. was it? It was The History of Tom Jones. Okay. Um, it was a great play. We did great. Tommy was great. A lot of really just smart actors and actresses. Um, and then after that, I really got away from it for a while. Wasn't really interested in theater. I came back to uh, somebody. They asked me to step in to fill a role. In who, who asked you? David Hill. Uh, he I'm not, he used to be the director at the Henderson County Performing Arts Center. He asked, me, but he was also at the Warehouse in Corsicana. He asked me to step in and take on a role because they lost an actor, um, and my sister was in the play. So I, I went ahead and stepped in and did it in Alice in Wonderland. I was the King of Hearts, and then the, he asked me again if I wanted to be in the chorus for the Return to Forbidden Planet, a musical. I'd never been in a musical at that point, um, 
and I liked it. So I just started, you know, staying involved, and then they asked me to be on the board down there, so I just kept staying involved um, and being in some other plays. And then I got a phone call from Doc randomly one time. Um, I was in her theater class in college. Was not in the really the theater program. I'd never been in any plays in Navarro. I was in one student production and I quit because I, <laughs> I, I didn't get along with the director, the student director. And uh, yeah, so I went out there and I was in that play, and she she's called me back now. Uh, it's my third time to be called back to be in a play for. Um, yeah, so I guess I I didn't really even consider theater until after I decided to be well after I decided to be a teacher. I guess I shifted. Um, got a job at Rice Middle School as the theater teacher and art teacher um, while I was still going to school, and that's really what spurred me onto it. So Ethan and I were in a play together called The Forgotten Air Force that told the story about women Air Force service pilots, or WASPs, specifically those that came from the state of Texas. And Ethan, you said that you had done some other plays. What were they? Because I only know that the uh, Forgotten Air Force. Well, this play would be my 30th production to be involved in. Oh my goodness. Um, so, huh. let's see if I can remember them all. Well, you don't have to name them all. Uh, what about the ones that you called back to do Dr. On- with Dr. O'Neill? With Dr. O'Neill, I did Forgotten Air Force, Paper Babies was another musical where I played Bob Wills, and I can't remember the other guy's name. Um, and then this one, 911 Gnomes. That's awesome. And so what... When Dr. O'Neill calls you and she asks you to come and and be in her shows again, what what is it that makes you come back? Um, I just love Doc. She was always nice to me and kind to me. <laughs> uh, I really enjoyed her classes. Uh, I I just want to I really want to grow theater in Navarra County because it's it's so dead. You know, we were having a conversation last night actually. One of my our castmates says you know theater is dead in Corsicana. Um, and it, it has been because people leave, but the only way to change it is to step in and make a difference. And so I, I, I believe that I like to try to live that philosophy. I think the best place to start that would be with the kids. Oh, if you absolutely. build the kids up as an interest in theater and acting, and, and tell them that there is a future in that, mm-hmm. and and not push them towards you know the technical trade jobs or the more administrative jobs or any of that stuff. If you push them to the arts then there's a chance that they'll actually make something of themselves in that career. Sure. And in Waco, where I live currently, that's starting to kind of come up a little bit, but it's more um, art artistry and less performance. Mm-hmm. So you've got some theaters in Waco. You've got the Brazos, uh, the Brazos Theater in Waco that does like murder mysteries mm-hmm. and does some improv comedy nights. And it's fun and all, but trying to get cast into those things, sure. it's, uh, it's, it's really not all that easy. And um, there's, it's a pretty, it's a pretty small pond with a lot of fierce competition. So yeah. unless you can really shine in your audition, you're you're probably not going to get cast. But, sure. Um, the 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 scene is still is still existent, is, uh, is existing there. And after this tour, uh, this trip here up in New York, I gotta say, um, the acting bug has definitely bit me in the ass. <laughs> <laughs> and um, you know, being in Doc's plays, it's um, Doc's style is more. Uh, PG or PG-13, and I'm rated R. I've always have been, uh, especially after my military career. And so trying to fit into into her, her roles has been very challenging for me. I mean, playing Jesus, the, the first time I played Jesus, I was still in the reserves, and I couldn't shave, I couldn't grow a beard, and I couldn't cut my, I, I couldn't grow my hair out. And Jesus has always had a beard, and he's always had grown-out hair. 
So that was really hard for me to be in that, knowing that everybody's going to see me looking that way. It was very, very, it was a very self-conscious performance for me. And even though they were moved by the whole thing and the experience, I was like, man, I just don't feel like I was the person that should have played that role. But I played it, and I did a good job, according to everybody that saw it. And then I came back again a second time, and I grew my hair out, and I was like, I still don't look the part, but I can at least try. <laughs> and so for me, the, the whole part of that was that when I did that performance um, as Jesus both times, the whole idea for me was um, to tell a story that had a lot of truth in it and that had a lot of uh, drama, that had a lot of beauty that had um, a side of it that people just haven't seen. And, and doing it the, the way that we did it, we did what's called a wagon procession mm. play. And according to Dr. O'Neill, those don't happen here in America. Mm. And so that for me, that was an awesome opportunity to be a part of that, to go to all these different locations on foot, to walk with the crowd. And, and for me, you know, yeah, you, you want to perform, you want to entertain the crowd, but I, I just I get so connected to my castmates. I love it. I love it. I love doing it and getting to experience rehearsal and performance with the people that I'm performing with, and it just creates to me a very special bond that you just don't find um, anywhere. Sure. You know? It's funny, like I actually, you know, Doc says they don't have any more. The one play I've written that we produced last year for my one night play was a pageant wagon play. <laughs> um, it's a variation of the story of every man, uh, so it's got some 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 Christian roots to it, um, but. You know, I really believe that the, all, the theater should disturb you. It should make you want to act. The best way to get people involved and want to do it is to is to show them. You've got to show them as much as possible. You know, and, and like you were saying, you didn't think you felt right for Jesus. You should always strive for roles that make you stretch. Yeah, you know, yeah. You don't want to get comfortable in a role in a character. Um, that's why I really liked the role I have now, which they originally wanted me to play as an old man. But it doesn't really fit the, it doesn't fit the pace of the show. I can't play an old man in this show because I'd be run over. Yeah. Um, so I had to kind of shift that. But I did get to change and do an accent, which is a stretch for me. Um, I've done a British accent before, but never a Scottish accent. Right. So it's been really interesting. My challenge with accents is just the power to be consistent. Mm -hmm. The ability to stay throughout the entire performance with all these different lines that you're not used to saying. Especially for this play where there's no strong language there's uh, a lot of you know affection and surprise and neither one of those happen very often in my day to day and to do that with an accent where you're you know explaining things and you're telling people stories or, or, or narratives or monologues or whatever have you um, to do that with an accent takes an incredible amount of skill so if no one said it yet you, you got some commendable talent I hope that you feel that while, after this performance is over appreciate that yeah absolutely so Looking ahead, uh, of course you want to get your master's, and of course you, you still have to pay the bills. Yeah. Um, but we, we were talking, you know, off and on about coming back up here. Um, what would you, what do you want to see happen with that if you come back up to New York? Well, having been in several musicals now and played a lead in one of them, um, you know, I, I'm really torn because I, I do like acting. I don't claim to be a great actor. I, I mean, I, I, don't, I don't even think I'm that great at all. Um, I really, really like to stay on the directing side of it, to be honest, the technical even further. But I'd love to come back up here and just, just test myself, see if I couldn't get in some productions, kind of build a resume. Uh, I'd love to someday be on a, you know, some kind of tour or a show here somewhere for a long extended time. I mean, it's practicality. It's probably 
a dream, but, you know, I think you should just dream. Try to chase your dreams. There's nothing wrong with that. And yeah. I, I gotta say that, um, of all the things that we didn't get to see and do here, I've gotta come back a second time. I, I can't, I can't not come back here a second time, you know? Yeah. And, and, and be a part of all the things that we, and, and see all the sites that we didn't get to see. Um, and if, and if I get to chase, you know, opportunities to audition for this, that, and the other, and actually get cast, then, you know, I'll chase that. I'll chase it into the ground, so. Yeah. And I'm, I'm sort of like you. I don't, I don't expect, I don't have delusions of grandeur about my, my performance abilities. Um, I really think that there is a role out there that's perfect for me. I haven't found it yet. And when I say perfect for me, I mean that I'm going to be able to get out there and deliver those lines better than anybody that's ever done it. Mm-hmm. And, and that's what I'm really searching for in all my, my acting experiences. It's something that where I can get out there and I can do that role because I understand it. I, I can uh, practice it with appropriate amount of time and, 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 and diligence. Mm-hmm. And the, the lines and the script are, are just working for me. I, I love to write. And, and as a, a, a very avid movie watcher and television watcher, you know, in my spare time, um, I'm very critical of scripts. I'm very critical of of how dialogue is delivered. Um, you know, you find some video games that have really great scripts. Like, I, I hate to bring this up for like the 15th time, but The Witcher 3 has an incredible script. Uh, another thing that has a really good script, Supernatural. I don't know if you ever watched that show. Mm, for a while I did. Yeah, um, for like the first... Eight, yeah, yeah. Like for the first uh, seven, eight seasons of, that I watched it, I was like, man, this script is awesome. And then, you know, it just kind of fizzled out because, anyway, it's been going on 15 years. Um, another great script, Futurama. I love that cartoon. The script on it is so great. And the guys that write those scripts, they all went to freaking Harvard or Yale or some other Ivy League school. They've got like seven Ivy League writers in their, in their staff. That's, anyway, so... When, when I see plays and I, I see movies, I'm thinking, I want to see the script. What's the script look like? Who are the writers? And if they suck, then, you know, I'm, I'm going to be a little disheartened about jumping in on this production. But if they're great, like Dr. O'Neill's a fantastic writer, if they're great, then I'm going to be overjoyed. It's like, man, this is a great opportunity to work with this kind of talent. Sure. Um, so coming from the technical aspect, you said you've directed a few plays. Oh, yeah. Uh, how many? Uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Um, at least seven that I can think of off the top of my head, and a couple I've assisted directed. Wow. Actually, eight. Yeah. Eight. Has that been like in the past couple of years, in the past ten it's, years? It's been since I've started teaching, past five years. Okay. Were those all uh, local to Corsicana? Um, yeah, definitely. They've all been. Uh, They've all been in schools, a um, couple in Athens, a couple in Palestine, a couple in Rice. Well, how do you like directing? I love directing. That's my favorite one. I like to, honestly, I love to tell stories. That's my goal. I like to have a vision. I like to mm-hmm. have an atmosphere. Yeah, yeah. Uh, make people feel emotions when they're in the theater. And so I've, I've written a couple scripts. I'm working on one right now. Um, you know, I, I've, I really enjoy it, and... Trying to make my vision happen on the on the stage is just oh, it's like a puzzle, and I love it. <laughs> I absolutely love it. So, as a director, what would you say would be what's a what's a monumental challenge that you've come across as a director? Uh, dealing with kids, it's definitely <laughs> the hardest thing. You just don't get it when you're a kid. You know, like you might have a random kid that might 
Um, getting into the, the headspace of the character, understanding the character's um, motivations, like what drives the character and yeah. what makes them tick. Um, and just figuring out a way to make them make an audience feel something is the biggest challenge rather than just delivering lines. It's got to seem natural and like that character and it's a very fine line from being like an acting voice to mm-hmm. actual acting. That's on the side of uh, the acting portion that I've never never been in. I've, I've, I've done makeup and I've made some props and set work but mostly I just act out the lines and... Um, I think it's real important to have a, a clear delineation of, of who is who is in charge and who's calling the shots. I but I, I really feel like the best the best works come from a mutual understanding between your your staff and your actors. A mutual understanding of this is what we want to see and not like Stanley Kubrick has created some masterpieces, but he did it he ground his actors so hard. I think um, when they were doing a scene, I forget which one it was, but they did a hundred takes on his movie. A hundred takes before they finally got it right. Oh, it was uh, Clockwork Orange, mm-hmm. and it was, uh, it was the rape scene. And it was when he was breaking into the house, and, um, well, I, I say a hundred takes, that might be an exaggeration, but uh, Maximilian, whatever the hell his name is, mm-hmm. the, the guy that played the, the, yeah, yeah. the lead droog, um, he, you know, he had to do that over it over and over and over and over until he finally put something in there and Kubrick liked it. So I, I think that's that's genius that you're going to push your people to do that, but at what expense? You know? I, I mean, if you can just meet with them and say, hey, I want you to do something outlandish. I want you to do something off the wall. I want to give you the freedom to make the choice of how this person acts in this moment. And we'll film it and go from there. And if I don't like it, we'll try again. Um... I feel really feel like that's valuable to to not get your cast to resent you because you're such a hard ass. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a fine line. Like uh, the biggest thing that I try to teach my kids there's there's an order of hierarchy in theater, and like honestly, it's pretty much your director's vision. Your stage manager should be the enforcer, um, but to the extent that they're not overstepping too much. Um, mm-hmm. if you, they're kind of the middleman to go between what the director wants to see, you can relay it, or come straight from themselves. But the actors, you know, if you have an idea, you're welcome to talk to them. But, I mean, really there should be an understanding, um, you know, and, and mutual respect. Really. But, so for me, that's huge, mutual respect. Uh, you said your sister's an actor? She is. Yeah? Is that her profession or is that her hobby? No, she, she's in high school still. Um, oh, okay. I didn't just, realize. Yeah, wow, yeah. you're you're my age, and you got a sister in high school. I do. That must have been an interesting family dynamic. A little bit. Yeah. <laughs> a little bit. Well, so I I, I want to go back. You know, you're you're a teenager when she's born, right? Mm-hmm. When your mom and dad break the news to you, what how was what was that like? <laughs> um, it was. I mean, it was odd. Like I was just like, oh, okay, that's random. <laughs> but I mean, I'm super excited to be an older brother, you know, I always yeah. wanted to be, so. And so that's your only sibling? No, I have four older siblings. Dang! Yeah. It's crazy, I can't imagine. I've got an older brother and a younger sister, and um, growing up with them was just madness, especially a single mom. Mm-hmm. That was, uh, that was a, a challenging period of my life, was growing up with them. <laughs> sure, yeah. 
Anyway, um, so when did you know you wanted to be a teacher? Interesting. So I went, like, I started out school. Okay, so in high school, I really wanted to be a movie director. That's what I was going to go to school for. Uh-huh. Um, really looking forward to that. And I went to TSDC because I changed my mind and decided I wanted to, because uh, I went up to live in the, like, Seattle area for a while. And I came back, and I really wanted to get into solar engineering. And came back to TSDC to try and get into that program, and they told me that the program didn't make for that semester. They were going to put me in mechanical engineering. I was like, all right, I would love to create things because I'm a creator. Um, and so I went to that program, and I had the just a terrible experience there. Like, uh, I had I was engaged, and, and we had just broken it off, and I went over there. I just gotten fired from other jobs for some bull crap. And so I went over there, and I just remember the... One of my teachers just, he didn't like me probably because of the way I wore my hat. I swear, I think that's it. He didn't like two of us because we wore our hats a certain way. And I remember one time, he kind of pulled me aside. He's like, what is this? This is crap. Like, you know, who would want you? And, like, that really hit me hard. You know, he said that, and he's like, what girl would want to date you? I'm like, what the what the heck? Where is this from? Like, I, I didn't do anything to deserve that. He really... And, and really, he had me. no grounds to say that at no, all. No, he didn't. And, like, I... I could have followed a grievance, and I didn't. I just decided, you know what, if I can make sure that no student ever goes through that, then that'll be a life goal for me, and that's what really set me on the path to be a teacher. Because I didn't want to, because my dad's a teacher, my brother's a teacher, my sister's a teacher. <laughs> Both my sisters were teachers. So I didn't want to, but, you know, it changed my life. Man, that's, gosh, gosh. They, to have somebody say that to me, I'm just the type of person to get twisted up real quick. Where do you get off, you know, blah, 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 and, you know, I probably wouldn't have filed a grievance, but I probably would have had a police fort filed against me for clocking that guy. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, okay, so... Growing up in a household, you had four other siblings living with you? Mm-hmm. Cool, cool. And then when you moved off to Seattle, you moved off on your own. I did. I did for a couple... I went up... Uh, I was a missionary for, for a church for a while. And then... Uh, really? Came back. <clears throat> and then, uh, yeah, it was <clears throat> cool. But it really got maybe more independent made me grow up a lot and so you know it made it made it pretty cool for me um kind of just eye-opening really wanted to see what i could do in my future what's seattle like uh seattle honestly it's kind of a mix between austin and kind of like i mean it reminds me a lot of new york in, in ways not as busy but it's beautiful the land's beautiful it's new york is so busy yeah it's green year-round uh, it snowed year-round, but I love the weather, love the people. They're very hippie up there, kind of. <laughs> but, hey, you know what? They're real cool, real nice people. Um, really enjoyed it. Does it smell like piss everywhere, kind of like you? It does not. It smells very green, very clean. <laughs> That's something that I've noticed about New York. And even a lady that, that was on the elevator with us, a random stranger, had, had commented on one of the subway elevators that it was. she thought it was a bathroom and not an elevator. And mm-hmm. She could have been correct because of the strong odor. Anyway, um, the, so Seattle, I've heard a lot about Seattle. I've heard about how pretty it is. Mm-hmm. And friends of mine have mentioned going out there themselves. And that's something I would love to see eventually. Sure. Um, it's on my, my traveling bucket list. Um, <laughs> that's funny. I was planning on going this summer. Um, <laughs> and here some, you are in New York instead. Yeah, with some friends. And uh, I was also planning on auditioning for Newsies at Tyler, the Tyler Civic Center and what's Newsies? Newsies is a musical it's a Disney musical based about the newspaper strikes I didn't uh, even know you could sing you never sing around me 
<laughs> For good I reason. I mean, people say that I'm seeing pretty well. I just no, I'm. I try to, you know, I'm, I guess I'm modest and that. Reserved. Yeah, I don't yeah, really. Sure, sure. I don't really think I'm that great of a singer, but I know I can carry a tune. But I'm the same way. I played yeah, lead and all shook up where I played, sang Elvis song, so. <laughs> I mean, I can sing decent. That must, that must have been a lot of fun. Oh, most fun yeah. ever. My musicals I've been involved in have been the most fun musicals I've ever been involved in. Or well, obviously, but just awesome experience. I would, I, I try to get my kids at school to be in a musical. They're scared to death to do it, but it's just so much more fun yeah. than a regular play. You've got to try it. So, you being the teacher and also the director because you're teaching. Mm-hmm. Um, when you pick a play for your kids to do, how do you how do you pick it? What's the selection process like? That's the hardest part. Um, <laughs> see, I'm, I'm not that big of a reader. Like, I do like to read some, but I have a hard time reading, especially scripts, because they're so condensed. Um, and if I, if I can't get my attention or a picture very quickly, I have a hard time sticking it out. <laughs> but I have a very, like, darker style. It's very different kind of ambiance. Um... I really like dark images and dark feelings and um, pulling from your emotions in that. So I, I, but typically, I try to find what kids I have and I try to kind of build a kind of a, a characterization around that kid mm-hmm. um, and look for qualities that I think they could handle. Um, or sometimes it just comes down to cast size. Like, what could I fit? And that's that's a, that's the biggest. That's a really huge challenge for me. Yeah, you got to match what you have mm-hmm. with what can fit. You know, can yeah. it fit in this play? Can it fit in that play? And I think, um, you know, go, growing up and and being in small town currents, uh, doing one act play there, you you just didn't have a lot of options. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, at, at that age, thirteen, twelve, maybe maybe four, maybe fourteen, you've got all these uh, hormonal kids. That uh, you know, one wrong word or one wrong day or one really bad experience, and the whole show is freaking tanked. Yeah. Because now you're the people that are in your show don't get along, and who else is gonna freaking do it? Because nobody else is in one act play. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's that is what it comes down to. You gotta find kids. It's like recruiting is hard. Like this year, my numbers are supposed to be higher than they were last year. I'm not sure that they are, but I had a lot of kids join late. Uh, after they saw it, we did Clue in the fall. They loved it. The audience loved it. So we had a lot of kids join to that. And so, you, you know, trying to find kids and you got to kind of replace kids when they drop or whatever else. Fit schedules. It sucks, but it's so rewarding <laughs> for me just to, just to see it. So I, lo- I just love telling stories. Yeah, me too. That's why I like to write. Um, yeah. I've got a couple of books I'm working on. I got one that's uh, been picked up by Dorrance Publishing, mm-hmm. and um, that'll be out eventually. I don't know when. Uh, then I've got another uh, science fiction that I'm writing, and that one I'm, I'm really proud of because I, I do a lot of pop culture references. I do a lot of personal references. I've built some of those characters off of people that I know. Um, I, I ask people if they would be willing to let me use their personality as characters in my books they're based on real people and I think that some of the best stories that get told are based on actual mm-hmm. personalities and I really did that with the uh, the apothecary is the name of the book and um, it's nowhere near finished it's not even halfway done but I, I feel like when it is finished it's gonna be a, it's gonna be a good story uh, and I got a friend of mine he's gonna write a complimentary novel 
to, so that you see like kind of like a flip side of a coin. Mm-hmm. You'll be able to to get a complete picture by reading both of them. That's cool. Um, whenever he gets finished with that, I don't know. He's he's working on an apprenticeship to work on aircraft right now, so I don't know if he'll ever get around to it. But if he does, you know, it'll be good. Good. Con- what's the word? Complimentary. Yeah. Complimentary piece. Anyway, um, so I personally I read a lot and I I try to read as often as I can. Um, but you say that you don't read very often. Well, it's, 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 it's I have a love hate relationship. Like I, I love reading, I really do. Um, I don't have a lot of time. Yeah. So right. when I when I read, I've got to make sure I make use of it. And so if I'm reading, like typically I have to read a lot of scripts. <laughs> so if I don't if I don't grab a script, if it doesn't grab me very quickly, I, I try to move on to find something that does, which is a fault. I need to work on it, but. Um, I, I, that's why I really like last year I wrote my own one play I'm trying to write another one this year because I, I just I, I want to tell the stories that I that I have that interest me you know like yeah. and so I try to find ones that are kind of obscure or if you ever need a co-author absolutely you know to call absolutely <laughs> I definitely will definitely will so I, it's interesting you've got all these demands on your time as being a teacher you got lesson plans that you got to work on mm-hmm. you've got budgets that you've got to fix yep. you've got props you've got to make you've got costumes you've got to design since you've been up here I haven't really seen you working very much on your computer do you do you huh. use your computer for work I do I mean honestly I just haven't had time I get up here I'm like man there's no way I can get anything done <laughs> uh, they kind of they redid the password so I can't get in so that's part of the reason uh, um, I rely on my students a lot I try to I try to teach them how to do a lot of things and we do a lot of them in class but I really try to make my kids responsible for their own art and so oh. I get my kids to design the state the set they build yeah, the set yeah yeah they design the costumes they render it they do drawings they wow that that adds a little yeah. bit of authenticity to it yeah, yeah I mean they take ownership then they feel responsible they <laughs> want to really make sure it's good um we made some costumes last year for our junior high play um it's a lot of work but the kids I find that they they the ones that that find it, man, they they find a place to belong, and that's that's life changing as a kid. Absolutely, Kevin made a a, a comment yesterday when we were doing our interview about uh, how most actors, when they interpret something on their own and they try to draw their own conclusions or they try to explain something like a, a character's motivations or a character's story, they usually go dark. And so Kevin was trying out for something, and um, I know he wasn't trying out for something. He was working on on something with a group of people, and um, this guy comes up and he's like, "Okay, I want you all to interpret this and, and tell me what your interpretation is." And so he gets to like the fifth person, and they have all been going to like this emotional, you know, I'm getting red in the face, I'm tearing up, yeah. and he's like, "Stop, stop, 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 stop." I don't hear all these sob stories. Why do you all got to go to this dark place? Yeah. Sometimes acting isn't even that. Sometimes acting is peppy and, and lively, and sure. I'm I'm happy to be here in this place right now. I mean, you guys are all wanting to cry and break down and, and try to be like in therapy. This isn't therapy. That's not what acting is. <laughs> True. And I, I feel like, you know, there are roles and there are are, are uh, bits that are meant for that. Like the art of racing in the rain is a very therapeutic story, and it's about to be a movie. I read that book, and when I read it, man, I cried like a fucking baby, sure. and I felt so dissatisfied because of how it ended, but that is life. Yeah. Life goes that direction, and so reading that and knowing that it's going to be a movie, I'm like, man, that's got to be so satisfying to sure. be involved in that. It's got to be so satisfying. Yeah. 
I don't like. I, there's a go back to what you were saying about Kevin. Like, it's real easy for an actor to <laughs> to pick to go that dark, as you say, or serious. I, I yeah, call it yeah. serious because that's the obvious choice. You know, we make choices as actors. And the most obvious choice is to be dramatic and serious and loud and <laughs> sad or yelling or angry. That's the obvious. That's the easy one. Yeah. But it, I like to imagine it as like a color wheel. There's lots of different... Uh, a easy, spectrum. Yes, yeah, yeah. easy emotions. But then you have little nuances in between mm-hmm. that that's what the character is. That's what makes a character yeah. good and successful. Matt Harrington tonight, he was the uh, gardener and the... Uh, uh, Cecil, Cecil, mm-hmm. the love interest for one of the characters um, in the play that goes wrong, sure. and and much like you said, the the nuances mm-hmm. are what made him so good. You yeah. know, like the, the going from oh man, I'm so happy to be here, I'm just gonna play around to the huh, that was funny, and yeah. the, that up and down was sure. just great. It really sold the character, in my opinion. I think a lot of that was in the writing, to be honest. Um, oh, okay. But I mean, but he's definitely a talented actor still, and yeah, and, yeah. and I'm sure a lot of that nuance he found. Um, in that characterization process, and you know, it, it brought that character to life, and you made a crowd favorite, hands down. It did, man. And I looked at that, and I was like, you know, if I if I had to be somebody in that play, I mean, I would want to do any role, sure. honestly. But Get on her. if if I if I had my choice, it would be either him or the butler, just because I, I really enjoyed the butler. I really enjoyed his role. The inspector? Um, no, the but the butler. Oh no, the butler. Yeah, yeah the he butler. was funny. He was funny. Yeah, yeah. that's right. He was he was pretty good. Kept yeah. reading the words wrong on his hand. That was and, hilarious. Yeah, that was pretty good. Um, so when you're doing, uh, or when you're in a role mm-hmm. and you're preparing for performances and stuff, how do you approach that? What is your process? Oh man, so I'm not gonna lie. This one, <laughs> for this one, I I didn't. <laughs> I, I so Doc calls me up. She's like, "Hey, I'd really like you to read for Frosty or Santa." I was like, "Okay, cool." And I, she sent me this recording of this song, and I learned the song and the tune and everything. And I got to the audition, and they didn't even have me read it, either one. I was like, okay, so I'm reading all these other parts that I hadn't even read. I didn't read the script. I just mm-hmm. read those scenes. Secretly, I wanted to be Rudolph. Yeah. Yeah, That was, that was yeah. Pretty, yeah, a pretty good one. But yeah, like I so said, I was like, crap, when I got this oh. other one. So then I just, I tried to imagine, like, what... The character's kind of bland. He doesn't have a whole... I mean, he's just kind of a serious guy. Not a lot of jokes. Um, like, as opposed to yours, it's all jokes, a lot of it. <laughs> but, um, you know, like, just kind of uh, the serious person in the play. And yeah. so then I started thinking of what would what would an older person be like? And, you know, and like, what would set him apart as being different from the rest of the gnomes? Because he's yeah. not met part of your family. Yeah. So, like, what would he be? Like, everybody's obviously got a personality. What would... Docs be, and then I started I, thinking. I gotta say, man, Cam's definitely talented. Oh, definitely. If, if I had to, if I had to say, um, like, if we were getting renowned awards, most outstanding actor of the performance, I gotta give it's it to Cam. Cam. It's Cam. I gotta yeah, give it to Cam. Yeah. She she owns those roles. She yeah. does two roles. Cam plays the mayor, and she also plays Everready. So uh-huh. two different gnome roles, and um, just how she owns those personalities, she really really dove into those people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, she really shows the variance in those two characters. She does. She's got ter- terrific range. And for me, it's it's hard because I'm not a dad. And so I, I grew up without one. And I'm thinking, like, can I be Hank Hill in this? Or can I be uh, Tim the Toolman Taylor? Mm-hmm. And the lines aren't there for either one of those characters. So, so how do I put that personality into these lines? And that's where I really got to, like you said, stretch. 
yeah. got to stretch and figure out how do I do these lines and yet give off the dad vibe. Well, sure. one of the obstacles came up where some of the actors are like, don't don't touch them. They don't like being touched. They mm -hmm. don't like physical interaction. And I was like, oh, God dang it. Well, that, that takes one of my tools away. Yeah. It takes something away that I was able to exploit and be like, hey, we're all hugging. I'm hugging you. You're hugging me back. That shows the family bond. Yeah. And then it's like, well, okay, I can't do that anymore. So what do I do? Well, the corny jokes. Sure. The corny jokes. I've really got to sell them. i got to stick them every time. And then everybody's like, oh, man, his dad jokes. They're so awful that they're good. Yeah. That's what i got to do. <laughs> yeah. Like, it came down to me for like... So once I figured out, you know, hey, it's a kid's play. What is a ki what, When I think of a kid play, what do I think? I think of cartoons. Yeah. And so I started, okay, this is basically a cartoon play. It's a cartoon, cartoonization, characterization. So it's like, it's going to be very over the top, very big, very loud, happy, silly. Mm -hmm. It's not going to be super serious. It's not going to be overdone. The script is just very simple. Um, there's not a whole lot of range in the characters. Um, but it... If you think of it as a cartoon character, it really... That's kind of what set it off for me to find a little bit more. And I don't think I do a great job in it, but it helped me find at least a consistent character, I guess. And that's To me, consistency is key. Mm -hmm. No matter how few lines you have or how much you think you're sucking at in your performance, if you're consistent throughout the entire show... Then your character is believable. Mm -hmm. you, know, you know, the audience can't tell that you're faking it. Yeah. You know, and I, I and with the play that goes wrong tonight, you know, they were so consistent throughout the whole thing. Just everything was falling apart. How much worse can it get? Well, the whole fucking thing came down. Yeah. That's how much worse it can get. I think it's amazing. Like you saw them set up these these jokes. A lot of the jokes for the whole play were set up. Or the gags were set up in the first scene before the play started when the stage text came yeah, on yeah. they set up a lot of the humor for the entire play and sometimes they didn't pay off until the very end yeah like the lights yeah. the lights might come down there's an 86% chance the lights are going to come down mm -hmm. <laughs> like the dog they yeah. talk, they, the first thing they said hey have you seen a dog that didn't even come out until the second act yeah. they set that joke up early yeah 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 to let people know so that would be funny Exactly, and so uh, that way you, you, it's not like you didn't have a clue. It's like, why are they throwing a chain around with right. no dog on it? Yeah. Um, anyway, so that and then you see uh, To Kill a Mockingbird, which was a two and a half hour show. Yeah. Can you imagine staying in character that long? You know, and and the girl that played Scout, she's like a thirty year old woman. Yeah, and oh, she yeah. was playing a kid, mm -hmm. and not just any kid, a southern kid. Yeah. And she's not southern, so she had to put on the strong southern sure. Alabama accent, and then she had to, you know, carry that for all that time. And then you got Jeff Daniels, which his his accent was kind of subtle, like it was yeah. it was hardly even there. But uh, for him to be this this dad figure the entire time, and not just any dad figure, a single dad whose wife has been dead, and he's got kids. You know, that's not easy to maintain, especially with such a a, a central role as he sure. had. You know, that really speaks uh, credit to his talent. Um, yeah. That's what I think, personally. So, all that to say that, you know, to, to be that consistent over that long of a period of time is, is, is a lot of work. Yeah, it really is. Yeah. So, I, I wonder, I, did you hear from one of the actors how, how long they had been working on the play that goes wrong? Because I heard somewhere seven months. Was that, did you hear that? I didn't hear that. Okay, because I heard someone say like seven months they've been working on this. Well, uh, most times when you audition, you audition several months in advance, so they yeah. might have had the script and might have been looking at it for yeah, a while. Yeah, right, right. Um, so, but usually that's only maximum two months. Yeah. Uh, from the time they cast. Sometimes it's just weeks. 
And I gotta say that, you know, working, not working, going behind after everybody left and then talking to them after the show was over, I'm like, how often do these people do this? Because it feels like they're kind of new. But then you see them on stage, and it's like, they do this all the time. Yeah, they do it every day. They have day. to. Eight times a week. Well, right. And so, <laughs> um, they they get up there, and they perform the way that they did, and then you talk to them out stage, and it's like, how many performances do you have under your belt? Because, yeah. I mean, you're, you're talking to me like an amateur. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, Jeff Daniels and uh, Danik Matthews last night, they were just like, you know, side of signatures, get the fuck out of there. They had yeah. to go. Um, and then we're talking to the, the cast members, they're like, well... Yeah, this is great, and we yeah. can't get enough of this. We're going to eat this up for the rest of our lives. Yeah. That, that's, that's the difference in off-Broadway and Broadway. Yeah, um, yeah. When you get your bigger names on Broadway, typically, and uh, sometimes not. But I know, like for musicals especially, they cast, and you, you go in there for two and a half weeks, three weeks, and you learn the show choreography, and then you go. that You're in the, <laughs> you're in the play, you're in the show. And so they're just doing it constantly, and, and if somebody drops out, the, if somebody's going to, to leave the show in the middle of the run they'll bring somebody in a couple weeks early to learn the choreography and then you go and so like they'll I think by the time they god I can't even I want to say by the time they end I want to say they do at least 300 performances a year I I believe Jesus yeah it's a lot I can't even imagine I've done maybe five in the past ten years yeah that I can think of you know you got the Forgotten Air Force Clothed in Glory Twice, this nine one one gnomes, um, and then something else for Doctor O'Neill. And I, I don't know why I have such unwavering loyalty to Doctor O'Neill, but every time she fucking calls me, I'm like, yeah, sure, I'll do it. Yeah. Well, <laughs> you know, just that mutual respect. She's she's respectful of us. She needs us, and we want to be there for her because she's always there for us, and she's always helped us. And we want to build that program. We want to build that. We want to see it be successful. Yeah, I don't want to see Navarro College's theater department, you know, die. Yeah. And I, mean, I feel like when Dr. O'Neill leaves, whenever she retires, whenever that is going to be, sure. I feel like the theater department is just going to go with her. Uh, it depends. Like like I say, like we were talking about earlier, there, the interest isn't there because, you know, it's, in, in our area, it's more towards sports. And the reason that the kids are interested in sports is because they <laughs> see sports. They see it constantly. They see it daily. They see it yearly. They're taken to see it. You're not taken to see theater all the time. You're not seeing it all, you know, seeing it on TV. You're yeah. not around it. So you've got to get people to see it to get an interest and a passion for it. And that's the only way. And you've got to keep the people around. They've got to stay involved and actually be the change that you want to see in it. Absolutely. Some wise words from Ethan Aaron tonight. I want to thank you all listeners for uh, listening to the podcast um, Ethan, if you ever get on a podcast, let me know. I'll guest star for you. But Absolutely. right now, Ethan doesn't. He doesn't do that. He just teaches because it's a lot of work. Yeah. And so, um, saying uh, goodbye from New York City, our last night here. Tomorrow's our uh, last performance of this showcase uh, from twelve to one at the Rave Theater Festival on Suffolk Street here in New York. We appreciate y'all for tuning in, and y'all have a good night. Good night. All right.